This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy, what's today? Friday. Friday, the day prior to the day prior to the day of rest. Why are you dressed up? Dressed up because I've got a nice date. Really? With 400 peeps. What time? Just after you're done uh, here? Around noon. I'm speaking. Oh, nice. And it's always hard because I'm speaking to people while they're eating. Oh, yes. That's always the best. That's clinking of yeah, dishes, clinkety and, clank, and then yeah. the choke, and then the you know random Heimlich. <laughs> so, how do you know if they're responding to your message or if they're just really enjoying the food? Like, mm, you know what? Yeah. I like to think it's me. How do you combat the after meal nap? The, I try to be done before that kicks in. You okay. can tell, really, when their eyes start rolling back in their head, <laughs> when they look like Hillary Clinton getting into a van. Just mention the show before they pass out. Yeah. That's all we're looking for. We'll try. Yeah, I'm going to drop. I'm going to. I've got two speeches today, and I think. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna do nothing but talk about the show. Nice. We're gonna get a lot, a lot of publicity <laughs> for the show today. Holy cow! We have so much to talk about. Speaking of publicity, Jimmy Fallon. Yes. Donald Trump. Mm. He touched his hair. He did. He seriously messed up his hair. I put the video on our Twitter feed. Okay, so you, if you want to go see it, it's you've got to see it. It's it, honestly, I've never been happier. And I think right there, Trump just won the election. Sounds weird. It doesn't. You think it, hair wouldn't matter? It doesn't explain whether it's real or if it's sutured to his head, like the rumors are. Happening. I don't think it matters. It shows uh, he he. What's the wall called? The third wall or whatever? The fourth wall. The fourth wall. He broke the wall. He. But there, he wants to build another wall. He wants to build another wall. That's a whole other issue. But the hair has always been the biggest issue, I think, deep, deep down for everybody. You don't imagine, – imagine that you saw a leopard with a hairpiece. Let's just say. Okay. For instance. Neat. Hmm. But do you trust it? Because it's still a leopard. So, but it seems like the hairpiece makes it seem – so I think the hairpiece has always – it's not a hairpiece. But the way he does his hair has always well, made people worried. We don't really know if it's not a hairpiece. But he broke down the wall. Oh, no. Jimmy Fallon worked it. Well, it could be sutured to his head. We don't know. Well, yeah. No. But the neatest thing if is... You, so if you staple something to your head, it is not a hairpiece. It is your hair now. Is that well, what you're trying to say? I would say if it has taken, if it has taken root by suture <laughs> or by staple, even a medical root, it's yours now. Okay. You know, I would say the same thing if you were shot with an arrow... And you're walking around with an arrow sticking out of you. It's yours now. You own it. There's some ownership. There. I mean, you could blame someone else, right. but you if you've been, if you've had it for 30 years, it's your arrow now. You may as well dress it up. So forget everything else Donald Trump has said. Uh, he just won the election last night. Just go watch the video. He's a guy that, yeah, sure, play with my hair. It's a big deal. He broke down the barrier. That would be like Hillary coming in saying, "Sure, listen to my lungs." But that comb over, it's like four feet long. It was really it was long. It was really long. But again, that honestly, just as kind of the psychologist in me, that is – the rule is always you share what you're most ashamed of. If you would just share what you're ashamed of, 
just say it, right. then it, it no longer has hold on you. So if he would share, I don't know that he has hair shame, but if he would just share it like he did last night, it goes a really long way to getting over it. That was pretty deep. Thank it's you. like Batman embracing bats. So does he just need to admit yeah. that... Or Robin. Does he just need to verbally say that Obama was born in Hawaii just to get past yeah, this? Yeah, what is that about? Is that what we're doing We've here? We've got so much to talk about. Like, oh my heavens. And by the way, that's actually a really telling sign. Because now nothing else was working the last couple of weeks and Donald was gaining ground. So they went back to the birther issue. It went back to that and Donald still can't get over that. Like, mm. just say... I think I thought he did. Well, he didn't. His people did. I thought. Yeah, but, his people. But, by the way, the ones that are responsible for getting him all this momentum lately yeah. are his people. Yeah, really. And then he let Jimmy play with his hair. Okay, got a lot to talk about. We'll get into Donald and uh, America's failing experiment. We'll talk with an author who believes this whole idea of passing the buck that we see in our political world. Everyone blames everyone else, but maybe the real person to blame or people to blame. It's that's us. We, the people, are the ones that uh, we've been passing and shirking our responsibility in this whole thing. We'll get to all of that. But first, let's go to Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie? In an interview with The Washington Post, Donald Trump refused once again to denounce his extensive 2012 campaign to prove that President Obama was born in another country. I'll answer that question at the right time, Trump said. I just don't want to answer it yet. Most of his surrogates have claimed he no longer believes it, but it's clear that Trump does not want to denounce it as of yet. Hillary Clinton on Thursday dodged questions about whether she informed her running mate Tim Kaine of her pneumonia diagnosis. Appearing at a press conference following the rally in North Carolina, the Democratic nominee simply said, My senior staff knew when asked if Kaine knew of the illness. Kaine has previously told reporters that he was told of Clinton's ailment on Sunday after she left a ceremony at the 9-11 memorial, appearing faint and overheated. House Speaker Paul Ryan on Thursday said Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump should make his tax returns public. I released mine, Ryan said, referring to when he was the GOP's vice presidential nominee in 2012. I think he should release his. I'll leave it to him when to do it. Trump has rebuffed calls to release his tax returns, citing an ongoing audit of previous year's documents. And finally, Google Maps privacy technology has blurred the face of a cow. What? In England. Google Street Views face-blurring technology typically blurs license plates and human faces, but it was an editor for The Guardian that recently discovered it also respects the privacy of cows. <laughs> In a statement, uh, a Google spokesperson said, We thought you were pulling the other one when we heard ah, the moos, ah, ah. but it's clear that our automatic face-blurring technology has been a little over-enthusiastic. That's crazy. So cows, cows are people too. Can you please turn those cameras off? Hashtag cow, cow lives matter too. That's so good. Wow, Sadie. On a bun. Thank you so much. That is, uh, now you've seen it though. If you've ever, have you ever, have you ever wrestled cows? No. There's a really big day. I don't know when, it's like in the spring when they got to bring all the calves in and they have to, they have to, they have to tag them. Mm-hmm. Snip them. Snip them. Yeah, I watched that happen. Dip That's... them, they call it. Tip them. Tip them. Whip them. Yeah. Brand, and brand them. Now you can just see that with all these kids pulling their cell phones out, these cows are going to come down the chute, you know, with like a coat over their head trying to not be embarrassed by the whole process. It's hard to be a cow. <clears throat> we appreciate Google for protecting them. 
They're private. They need privacy also. Absolutely. By the way, it is Plato Day, one of my favorite days. You remember Gumby and Pokey? Those were good days. Do you remember Eddie Murphy as Gumby? Yes. On Saturday Night Live. Play-Doh Day, folks. Today's the day. It's okay to just grab yourself some Play-Doh and spend all workday building something. But don't be like those other kids that mix the colors up and turn it into some nasty non-color. Every kid. Yeah. Did you ever – we decided early in our family we weren't going to be a Play-Doh family. I think we decided that when we had Play-Doh in the carpet. We we didn't go Play-Doh. It's better to step on a Lego than to smush Play-Doh. Put that on a meme. Meme it. Play-Doh day, by the way. Uh, but more importantly than Play-Doh day is my other favorite day. This, I'm telling you, guacamole day, folks. Peel the avocado, peel the avocado, peel the avocado, peel the, peel the avocado. avocado, rip it, guacamole, guacamole, guacamole. wow, mm. an entire song by Dr. Gene. Dr. Dr. Gene is having a one-person rave there. That's crazy. (laughs) She had a lot of arm movement on that one. In fact, we got to post that song uh, on the Twitter sphere. The Guacamole song. The Guacamole song. Dr. Gene. Wow. Very simple. Happy Guac Guacamole Day. This is the day that you can put the uh, high-fat guacamole on everything. That's all my wife tells me is how much fat there is in guacamole. But it's a good fat. It's a good fat. That's what I always tell her when I grab me belly. It's a good fat. We've got a great show for you today. So much to talk about. Uh, really, we, we, it seems like Hillary can't quit talking about her pneumonia. Yep. Not that she wants to, but the press. Well, and, she's trying to roll it into, you know, I was able to take a couple of days off, but there's many millions of Americans who can't afford to take a day off without losing a paycheck. You know, she tries to roll it into health care that way, so... It's a. Uh, fact, let's let's listen know. to the clip of her saying that. <coughs> oh, <coughs> excuse me. Oh, here we go. <coughs> uh, oh, she's about to say what <coughs> Perry just said. <coughs> <coughs> ah, we'll get back to her on that. Um, yeah, she sounds a lot better though. She sounds like she's getting better. <laughs> it's clearing up. The question came up, and uh, Sadie touched on it earlier. Did 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 vice presidential candidate Kane? Tim Kaine, know about Hillary's pneumonia. I uh, communicated uh, with Tim. I talked to him again last night. Uh, He has been uh, a great partner, and he's going to be a great vice president. That's not the answer. Could you answer the question, please? We communicated. We we've communicated. We've talked. I've talked to him before. I am, you know, not going to go into our personal conversations, and I feel very comfortable (laughs) and confident uh, about our relationship, and I. Um, really look forward to working with him closely. So the answer is he didn't know. Tim didn't have a clue. <laughs> oh, the dodgery. Yeah. Just say, you know what? No, I didn't tell a soul. In fact, honestly, I didn't even know I had pneumonia. <laughs> Tim didn't know. Yeah, he, he was informed by, I believe, he found out later after the whole episode had happened on Sunday 
what the whole, you know, I guess when the rest of us found out she had pneumonia, they announced it and he was like, oh, okay. So somebody then asked him and he didn't really handle it well to sound like he knew what was going on. Yeah. He probably should have known on Friday. Yeah. That's one guy that should have known. He sh- he should have known. He probably gave it to her. Let's be real. Could have been. He wants a shot at the big seat. <laughs> um, then, so Hillary can't stop dodging all the pneumonia information. Paul Ryan came out and pointed out another issue that Trump has been dodging for a while, uh, the old tax issue. I'll, I'll defer to Donald Trump as to when he thinks the appropriate time to release his returns. Um, I know he's under an audit and he's, he's got an opinion about when to release those. I'll defer to him on that. Do you think it's a good idea? Yes. I release mine. I think we should release it. Mr. Speaker, now that... I'll leave it to him when to do it. Do you believe Trump is qualified to be president? Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump won the nomination. Um, it's you know, Having a business guy is, is, that the only is not the worst idea in the world. I'll say that. The last question just bulldozed <laughs> through. Is that the only qualification? You win the nomination, so you're in? So he didn't answer the question no, either. No. no, no. This is a lesson in dodgery. Oh, there's more. Did Is Donald Trump qualified? Hey, hey, he's a human. Of course he's a human. He's a wonderful head so, of hair. So you believe he's qualified because he's a human. And other things. I like ice cream. Whatever, okay? Uh, it, where does it end? You know what? Pence, what's his name? Mike Pence? Yeah. Mike Pence, uh, Trump's, you know, running mate, he's he's convinced that all of this is coming up because the Dems are desperate. I'll be honest with you. I'm starting to get a whiff of desperation <laughs> from the other side. It seems like the attacks are getting a little more intense. Uh, and uh, and I think that's because they sense what I sense all over this country. Is that more and more Americans every day are responding to Donald Trump's broad-shouldered, confident vision to get this economy moving again, to rebuild our military, to make sure we have a Supreme Court uh, that uh, respects our Constitution. And uh, I truly do believe uh, that we're on our way to a great victory in November. Matt, Matt, wake up. He's done. The whiff of desperation. Is it more like a formaldehyde sort Mm -hmm. of smell? It's kind of like an embalming fluid. Okay. (laughs) It's... It's like Drakkar. You remember? Is that the name of it? Drakkar? Was that the name of that? My car? Not your car. Drakkar. Hmm. That scent that men would wear that... Mm, is that desperation? Yes, it is. It is desperation. Do you want to try some? <laughs> Crazy stuff. Apparently, um, Hillary Clinton, though, is... Donald's just running around, getting his hair... All mussed up. Mussed up. Uh he even went and dared to do something you don't do to the press corps. He started a rally without the press. I have really good news for you. I just heard that the press is stuck on their airplane. They can't get here. Yay! So they're trying to get here now. They're going to be about 30 minutes late. They called us and said, could you wait? I said, absolutely not. Let's get going, right? Let's get going, New Hampshire. <laughs> See? He's a man of the people, not the press. He's not there to impress. He's there to just have a meeting with a bunch of people in a hangar, probably. I'm telling you, he's doing something right. Polls are going up. He's now gaining in Pennsylvania as well, Florida, Ohio. (laughs) These are all the places he wasn't supposed to be able to do very well, but uh, he might uh, might be coming back. 
Is that good? Bad? Who knows? Well, our next guest has got an opinion on it. America's failing experiment. This whole process, the political process we're going through, quit complaining, quit passing the buck. It might be your fault as a citizen in the process. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, and uh, man, we got a great, great discussion in line for you right here. Passing the buck is also known as the blame game, and we see it all the time, right, with our elected officials, each party blaming each other, each candidate blaming the other party or the other candidate for all of the problems in this country. You know, presidential elections at, at the governor level as well, every level of politics, uh, we could we could blame our competitors. We could blame everyone else that's uh, in the race against us. But in the end, are the American people guilty of playing the same game? Are we truly in charge of our own democracy? Here to speak to us today is Kirby Goydell, author of America's Failing Experiment, How We the People Have Become the Problem. Uh, Dr. Goydell, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. What an interesting, uh, I think, position or or uh, approach you're taking to this you make a really big point about the fact that democracy it's demanding of its people and is the idea of your premise that we're just maybe not stepping up to the plate as the people yes yes that's that's certainly part of the premise and and but but it's also more than that because it's it's also about uh the fact that uh the it's our partly our version of democracy. So anytime there's a problem that comes up, anytime there's a there's an issue in terms of government, what we say is, well, it needs to be more democratic. Uh, and what ultimately happens from that is that we open up the process, we make it more transparent, but uh, the way we do it requires more of people than they are able to give. So the average citizen out there in their in their normal life doesn't have a lot of time to study politics and think about politics. And so we're asking them to be really, really well informed about things that they aren't well informed mm. about. And then we're asking them to pass judgment on things that they don't know about. Interesting. So they're uninformed. And I guess some of it uh, is time and some of it, I guess, is access of knowing maybe how to study, what to study. Some of it's interest. We, we A lot of people... When we do these segments on politics, um, I have a lot of uh, listeners that are like, yeah, I don't I'd rather talk about my diet. <laughs> yeah, and that's absolutely the case. And one of the one of the reasons one of the things that's that I think is also important is that uh, historically uh, people have never really been that informed. And so there's there's this idea that if, oh, we went back to some golden age where citizens were better and, and they were more engaged in the process. And, you know, the Lincoln-Douglas debates where people mm. went out to hear people speak at great length, that's mostly myth. People have always been uninformed. Uh, the more troubling thing, I think, is that we now have a media system and we have a political system that asks more of these people. Uh, and and uh, And so if you don't want to be informed, you can you can avoid politics altogether. Uh, just imagine, you know, uh, when I was a kid, if the president came on, we all had to watch the right. president. Today, if the president comes on, you just switch over to the comedy Comedy Central or something else and avoid it entirely. It's so true, I, and I guess that's why it makes sense. You're you're a communication professor, 
So you sit there and look at the fact that we don't even have to – I remember, probably we're probably about the same age, where if there was a, a presidential speech on the television set, it ruined your night. Like it messed up everything. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and now yeah. now it's like eh, my kids don't even know when the president's speaking. Right. Right. Because they can just go over to Nickelodeon or, right. or whatever. you know, Or just stay on their phones. And there for them. Yeah. so really the communication systems, I guess, are as well. And, and the media, um, except then. And this is a really weird, I guess, part of this. It also seems like. Everything's about polling now. Everything's about every candidate's basically just running on what the polls are saying. Um, not even necessarily what I, I don't even think what their constituency is saying. Yeah, and, and, and polls, I, you know, I'm, I do public opinion polling, and I don't really blame the polls for this particular uh, problem. But the fact that they're there all the time means that we're constantly referring to what the people want and what the people are thinking about an issue. And again, in a lot of cases, the people aren't even terribly informed about the about the issue or their opinions are going to change over time. So one of my favorite examples is the Iraq war. Uh, where at the very start, we forget this now because it's unpopular, but at the start of the war, it was overwhelmingly popular. So when we have Mm -hmm. candidates say, oh, I was against the Iraq war from the beginning, what they're really saying is I disregarded what the public said at that point, and now – now I'm willing to say that I that I was against it, uh, but but at the time, if you were against the war, you were you were going against public opinion, and public opinion was driving a lot of the process. That is so true. And then we scapegoat, right? So then, so everyone scapegoats Bush as having made the biggest mistake in the world, except he was going with public opinion. He was also going with what the data, I guess, w- was saying, and everyone was behind it. And now he's the scapegoat when, in reality, we all should be to blame. Yeah, yeah, in part, and and now there there is a failure in terms of information. So we right. can argue that the president misled us in terms of wep- weapons of mass destruction. We can blame the opposition for not standing up more, and and, and then the Democratic Party for not standing up more, and uh, and trying to make a clear case against the war. Or we can blame the media for not doing a better job in terms of investigating uh, some of the claims. Uh, but but regard it, it regardless. Uh, the the situation was that the public was mostly supportive at that time, uh, and and they were willing to go along with this. And so when you look at what happened over the war and over public opinion in the war, it started out very supportive. It declines. Uh, then people want it withdrawn. And, and so you really create the conditions for for bad foreign policy. And, and our and our policy on that has actually followed public opinion pretty well. We supported the war, then we wanted out, so we got out, so we created a vacuum, and now we have a mess. Hmm. Do, do you think – we always say that, uh, you know, the democracy is not perfect. It's, it's the best system there is, and in the United States, we're running it better than anyone else. Is that true, and is democracy the problem? Or is it just too high of a – is it too high of a bar? Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to do with the book and, and one of the things that I wanted to be provocative intentionally and say, maybe when we when we think about what's wrong with our political system, we shouldn't just reflexively say, oh, let's put more democracy and, mm. and that will fix all the problems because it's pretty clear it doesn't. Um, so when we move to, to more democracy as a solution, oftentimes what that means is it's the loudest, most partisan voices who drive the process because the, the people who aren't as interested drop out of that process. Um, what democracy, what the people do really well 
um, or at least reasonably well, so that we can say this is this is how democracy should work. They make big judgments about whether the country's moving in the right direction or not. Uh, they have a good sense about whether things are okay or not okay. They're less good about you know what should our healthcare system look like. We probably don't want the public directly involved in making decisions about healthcare policy because they don't know it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they know is whether they think the system is working or not, and so. Uh, what we need to do is is sort of, uh, you know, I think we need more expert opinion. We need more reasoned judgment, uh, the, the kind of system that the founding fathers intended when they when they created our constitutional design. Not just a voice of pain and if it's working or not, but, you know, I guess a more informed voice about how to actually go about fixing it. That's, I guess, not as easily swayed by one side or the other because they're misinformed. Yeah. Yeah, when when we look at when we look at specific issues, and and it, you know, here's here healthcare is a good example. Um, so when we look at the early polling on healthcare, for a long time, people have said there's a problem with the system and the system needs to be addressed. But they're very happy with their own care. Even going into uh, the passage of Obamacare, public opinion overwhelm or not overwhelmingly, but a majority supported a larger federal government role. Obamacare gets passed. Most of the people, most then then support moves against Obamacare. Care. Um, and as as people make this a case, even today, when you break it down into the specific provisions that make up Obamacare, people support a lot of the specific provisions. So, so what do you do with that if you're if you're trying to have a system based on public opinion? Uh, you know, if you if you uh, overturn Obamacare, you create all sorts of problems oh, because yeah. people don't actually know what's in Obamacare; <laughs> they just know that they don't like it. Right? Isn't that true? They don't know. And 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 now there's so many that have have now tasted it. You can't just take it away, even if the system isn't working right. It's uh, it's it's hard to inform enough people to to know what to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. And and so even people who have who now have health coverage who didn't, uh, they blame Obamacare. People who see their premiums increase, they blame Obamacare, even though a lot of their premiums and a lot of their uh, those were increasing anyway. Um, so the fact that it didn't control some of the increased costs in, in terms of health care, uh, is, it's difficult to know whether that should be attributed to the program or whether that should be attributed to something else. And, and then we end up blaming the other party and we become more partisan. We end up blaming the government that just isn't working. We then end up blaming uh, you know, the immigrants coming from other countries. We end up blaming everyone our, except ourselves. Yeah, we blame everybody but ourselves. And and part of this is, you know, it, it is a little bit of a problem in the sense that individually, of course, we aren't, you know, we I, I don't have enough power and you don't have enough power right. and most of your listeners don't have enough power in order to really influence policy. Um, but what collectively we are responsible for the outcomes in our and and in uh, in our political system and our politicians actually are really really responsive to what we what we think and what we say. Um, and maybe and probably too much. Um, and so what this has done is it's created a political system, as you said, of blame. So the goal in politics now is more to blame the other side and to stay in your ground rather than to work together to find common ground and, and, and try to try to actually solve problems. Uh, and you can see this in, in leaders who. Uh, you know, Eric Cantor, for example, in Virginia was a was a Republican leader uh, who was defeated by a little known professor from George Mason. Uh, and uh, part of the reason was he was spending too much time on Washington politics trying to actually solve problems. <laughs> See, 
That's what'll kill you, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and again, but again, the the electorate wasn't informed, and he was, I guess, an easy target. And I guess that's the crazy thing too. In the media, it's not the media's fault, but you can take advantage of it and point out, you know, who the who the naysayers are a lot easier today with all of the different forms of media. Do you think our founding fathers foresaw any of this or foresaw anything about the uninformed electorate? Absolutely. They were very much resistant to the idea of, of democracy when uh, when they designed the U.S. Constitution. They didn't want to use the word. And it, this is the sort of an interesting uh, tale anyway, that democracy at the time was considered a bad word. And they associated democracy uh, with demagogues and then with tyranny. And, and so they really consciously tried to avoid using the term democracy at all. Um, and, and called the, the new system of government a republic because exactly because of that fear. And you can see in the constitutional design that, that what they uh, worked very carefully to do was to make sure they knew government had to be based on consent of the governed, that there had to be a democratic element in it. Uh, but they also knew that, that democracies would want to do crazy stuff. So what you want to what you want is the input of the public coming into the system, but then reason, judgment, and 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 expert opinion winning out, so that whatever the policy was that emerged had been thought about and was not simply a reaction hmm. to public passion. So that's kind of the democracy representative government we've created. Yeah, that was the one that was created. Yeah. And over time, what's happened is. Uh, as crises have come up, as problems have come up, we said, let's make the system more democratic. Uh, Interesting. In, yeah. Yeah. Less rep- less having an informed representative purely making the decisions. Interesting. We'll take a break, continue the discussion with Dr. Uh, Kirby Goydell and uh, his interesting book, America's Failing Experiment, How We the People Have Become the Problem, which means also I'm assuming we could become the answer. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Goydell about that. Stick with us. Welcome back, my friends. Today we're talking about democracy and your responsibility in the mess that you might see going on. If you are frustrated with what's going on with the political system, all the partisanship, uh, the passing of the buck, the lack of any progress, we can blame the government. That's a great way to try it, I guess. You can blame every candidate that's ever run or has ever served. You can blame everybody trying to immigrate and come to this great country. Or we could finally talk about uh, another part of the problem, maybe even a bigger part of the problem, We the People. And to join us to talk through uh, his provocative book, America's Failing Experiment, How We the People Have Become the Problem, is Dr. Kirby Goydell. He is a professor in the Department of Communication and Public Policy Research Institute at Texas A&M University. Dr. Goydell, thank you again for being with us. Uh, this is great. This is great. I love uh, I love what we're learning. Talk to me about um, when, when I think of this, I mean, you, you've brought up information and the fact that a democracy basically puts a strong demand on the on the members of the democracy to be informed, um, to uh, also, I guess, be open to hearing ideas and trying to be a little more solution oriented. Is there 
it, it, does this seem like something that we're ever going to move towards? Does it just have to get so bad that we finally decide to become informed? Or how do we start moving everybody to be more involved and informed in the democracy? Well, I think I think the, the, the solution resides partly in thinking about our political system and, and what it asks of, of individual voters and, and individual citizens uh, and how it creates a climate where we become more partisan uh, and we, where we become more polarized because of the way the system is structured. Uh, and so uh, the idea that people are going to become, you know, remarkably more informed when they have, you know, daily lives and, and regular jobs and, and when they care about other things. Uh, we, that's probably not going to happen. So what, what I would prefer, I mean, my, my sort of thought solution for this is to think about how do we get the political system so that it is uh, more reflective of the moderate, the independent, the middle, median American voter uh, who is not uh, a super Republican and, a, and, a, and an ideologically consistent conservative or not a super liberal uh, and, a, and, a, and a Democrat. How do we get it so that it focuses on the middle and so that it's more moderate and more solution oriented? And, and, and that's sort of how I approach the question of, of how do we fix this, this problem. Is this done by leadership? I mean, do we just need a really powerful leader who fits that mold and can reach that group? Um, I'm, you know, I worry about really powerful leaders exactly for the reason of democracy uh, that, that, uh, you know, and the, and the founding concerns about about democracy is they were really they wanted to make sure that whoever was our president was separated from public opinion, and that's the reason we had the electoral college in the beginning. Uh, and they actually thought after George Washington, no one will be able to get a majority of the electoral college, so it will always be decided by the House. So the president will be two steps removed from public opinion. But I think what it, I think where we need leadership is we need to say we need more collective responsibility in our political system. We need some way to judge whether the political system is collectively solving problems and that individual politicians are then held accountable for solving problems rather than taking the right stands on issues. And I think we can do that through districting and thinking about campaigns and uh, as, as, as a mechanism for fixing fixing what's wrong. Hmm. And uh, can you give us a good example? Somebody Who fits the bill for that? Who do you see, I guess, on either side of the party that is more of a of a solver, a solution oriented, uh, versus just partisan. <laughs> I guess it's hard because well, whoever you say, somebody's going to think, "Oh, that guy." Yeah, that, that, that's 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 that's. But a, we need an example, uh, right? It seems like we need we need to we need some role models. Yes, yeah, and and I think I think uh, probably better than picking someone from the contemporary uh, political sort of situation because they're all part of part of a system that makes it difficult to uh, to, to be in the middle and to, and to be more moderate is to think about sort of how the system has changed over time. Uh, so if you if you look at at Congress, for example, for a long time we had a number of Southern conservative. Uh, Democrats, and they would work with the Republican Party across the aisle on a number of issues, and then they would be with the Democratic Party on other issues. And then on the Republican side, you had a bunch of, you had a good number of liberal, Northeastern, Rockefeller Republicans who were more liberal on social issues, uh, but were very fiscally conservative. And so they would also work with the Democratic Party. When you look at major legislative achievements like the Civil Rights Act, uh, that only happened because Johnson was able to work Work with the Republican uh, President Johnson at the time huh. was able to work with uh, uh, Republicans and, and get their buy-in in, in terms of civil rights. Uh, so, 
Is that yeah, what's so happening? Because it seems like now everybody's being pulled to the extremes yes. of the party. And there is there doesn't seem to be as strong of a middle moderate on I mean, because those those groups you would think could talk. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and so what we've done in terms of our districts, uh, in terms of districting in the, in, in the countries we've created, and part of it, this is not just gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is part of it. But we've created a, a large number of safe Republican districts and a large number of safe Democratic districts uh, at the House level. And so what that means is that if you are a Republican in the House in a safe district, you don't worry about the Democratic Party. You worry about a challenger from within your party saying you aren't a true conservative. And the same thing on the, on the, on the left, which creates a situation where you're less likely to compromise uh, and and more likely to say, oh, I need to stand for the right position here, even if it means nothing gets done. Yeah, interesting. That and again, if the districts have been laid out that way to provide safety and some security to the parties, um, then until that changes or until you get an extreme position or somebody from the extreme in one of those districts, it's you're not going to see much change either. Yeah, and if and if we could make the districts look more, if the districts were more diverse, and so that any time uh, a member of of Congress had to vote on something, they had to think about how does this affect me in terms of does this create a challenge from uh, from the other side as opposed to within my own party? I think then you have a have a situation where you're more likely to have have uh, increased the incentives for. Uh, compromise and, and accommodation and working towards solution as opposed to to being you know more ideologically or partisan or, or pure on partisan grounds you in your book you um, in your book America's failing experiment you mentioned the fact that these presidential campaign cycles end up really exhausting the electorate <laughs> it ends up wearing <laughs> us out talk about that because I'm feeling yeah, it right now fatigued yeah absolutely Absolutely, and I think our presidential process is is exactly sort of what's wrong with the with with what's going on in American democracy. So when we look at the process, the reason we have the process we do is it's almost by accident. You know, why do why do I want New Hampshire get to go first? Well, because they were first. Um, does that make any sense? Right. Uh, and so. But, but what also happens is they start earlier and earlier in the process. Uh, no one can move in front of them. If you want to run for president, you have to begin raising money at least two years out. Uh, you're going to begin having debates in 2015. This this makes no sense. Why do we have this long, mm. convoluted process? We could easily have a primary six weeks before the general election and be done with it. Um, but But why? Because our political process didn't happen by any sort of rational design. Our presidential process didn't happen by any rational design. It happened by just sort of historical accident. And then once we have it, we say, oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and the other part of it is that process has become more democratic over time. People still don't like it. That we can pick apart whether superdelegates are undemocratic or caucuses are undemocratic or whatever, whatever sort of rule you don't like. But over time, what we've said is we want more public involvement in the process. And at the end of the process, we like it less. Right. And and it goes on forever. And then the Republicans yeah. had, what, 17 candidates? And, and then <laughs> yeah. you start to look at just the dilution of the numbers. And is that how we got Trump? I don't I mean, there's a million reasons I think Trump is there. But is it well, it's it's a weird process. 
Yeah, and the, and the process, I mean, when you think about the fact that, and, and I'll, I'll pick on both Trump and, and Bernie Sanders here, when you think about the fact that these two candidates could make a serious run within a party primary when they were not really members of the party hmm. before, the, that, that, that is sort of a nonsensical uh, process in terms of thinking about how, how, how primary should work and how we should, should select nominees. But it happened that way because we've said, let's move the party elites and the establishment and let's lessen their role and let's increase the role of the regular voters. Um, and and the, then the other part of this is at the end of the process, we now have the two least liked nominees in history. Yeah. And and so and so now we go. How come how come we don't yeah. have any choice in this presidential election? It was our choice. Yeah, we the voters made the choice. No, I didn't vote um, for him. Yeah, right. You probably didn't <laughs> vote. Did you even vote? I mean, I guess that's what was it like? A tiny percentage of people even voted in the primaries. Yes. yes. So and so. Yeah, we need to be involved, don't we? Absolutely. Or or we need to think about how to how to do the system so that it's that it's more reasonable. We could easily move to regional primaries. We could have this process uh, in a much shorter period of time and voters would be more engaged because it was a shorter period, because it was more intense. uh, And then it would go away the way the process works now. The, the candidates, by this time in the process, we're all tired of these candidates. Yeah, yeah. You know, we all just want it to be, can someone just win so we can go about our daily lives and right. not have to watch this silliness anymore? In the U.K., uh, they do it in a month, right? Yes. They yes. get it done in a month. I mean, let, yes. okay, well, let's just, we'll take three months, but let's be done with it. Yes. Think of how and, much and, money and, that would save, because you could only spend so much money in three months. Yes. And, and, and Thomas Patterson, Thomas Patterson, he's a Harvard political scientist, and uh, he's been making this argument for years. And what he argues is that ultimately voters would be more knowledgeable as a result because the way the process works, that voters aren't really going to pay attention until they have to. So if you look at this, this long process over states, uh, if you're in California, are, really gonna pay, are you really going to pay much attention in Iowa and New Hampshire? Well, probably not. Mm. You're going to wait till it gets closer to your, to your time to vote. Um, and so by that time, though, there's been so much going on that the race is almost all about horse race. It's all about polling. It's all about who's winning. Even when they cover issues at that point in the in the election cycle, it's often about, okay, what's the strategic game going on? Right. Why, is, why are they changing their position? Well, they're trying to appeal to this type of voter as opposed to, you know, what what does this mean for the country in terms of, uh, in, in terms of policy? And it's about um, pneumonia and hair. So uh, this this is the other thing. I mean, the, everyone and you hear all the pundits saying um, none of this really matters. Don't worry about any of these polls till after Labor Day. Well, great. Yes. Then let's just get rid of everything <laughs> before Labor Day and just get to Labor Day. And I mean, if that means it is about a three month race um, once we've got them. Well, yeah, here's the I, deal. And- oh, I, I, sorry, Dr. Goydell. Um, what's what would you suggest we tell our kids? How do I present democracy to my family to to maybe light a fire, get them motivated, driven to want to be an informed member of the electorate? Well, I, yeah, I think the, the the one thing that's really important is that democracy does respond to the public input. Uh, and 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 the book I've argued maybe too much so, but the higher the quality of the input, the better the output. And and one of the problems that we're seeing is that the input is of low quality and the output is subsequently also of low 
inequality. Mm. And we're not supposed to say that because you're not supposed to say that democracy isn't working. Uh, democracy, I uh, mentioned the founders didn't like using the word today. It's such a popular word that to say something as democratic is automatically to say it's good. Uh, but but uh, democracy will respond to public input collectively, and we need to have better quality input. Mm. Great advice. Great advice. Great insight. Dr. Kirby Goydell, thank you so much for your time and your, your great work. Everybody go check out the book, America's Failing Experiment, How We the People Have Become the Problem. We'll be right back. You boy, you too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends. You know, um, at some point, you've got to own up to your part of this uh, crazy, chaotic environment we're, we're all a part of. Don't just be mad at Hillary and Trump, because this is... This is a representation of you. This is a representation of your society. Uh, Winston Churchill has a great quote. It says, the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter, which is exactly what Dr. Goydell was telling us. You go spend five minutes with the average voter, see how informed they are or they aren't, and you might realize that democracy is a risky, risky thing that we're undertaking. We like to, in our country, proudly uh, you know, invoke all of our rights and, and demand all of our rights. And yet so many of us don't even want to um, show and be responsible enough to study out the issue. We live in an Internet society today where somebody can get online, uh, see a news story, and because they have the freedom to speak, they get online and they're just going to unleash the Kraken and start saying everything they want to say because, doggone it, they have a right to say it. But along with every right, there's a responsibility. And to say it, if you haven't taken the responsibility, um, it's a big deal. There's many of us. I, I sit and I watch these soldiers that are risking their lives, putting their lives in harm's way um, for the flag, for example, or for the country, and other people, you know, stepping on that flag or using their freedom of speech to hurt other people. Imagine that you actually had to go fight for the freedoms that you so willingly take upon yourself. If you had to fight for it, you'd probably be a lot more careful with it. Uh, It would probably mean that you would watch the debates, not because it's entertainment and not because it's better than Dancing with the Stars, but simply because you have a responsibility. So we may not need you to go carry a weapon. We may not need you to fly, you know, to the Middle East to take on a war. But we do definitely need you to get informed. And as Dr. Goydell said, we do need you to start giving better feedback If we're not pushing back with better informed feedback on our politicians, they won't change. If we don't start demanding more accountability for some solutions and progress, there's not going to be a change. So quit complaining about it and get up and do something. Do something. Uh, it, It will not be there unless you actually make choices and express your choices. Not just complain about it and not just make a banner and not just make a sign and not just, you know, you have to do something about it. 
And it doesn't always mean you have to go protest. Sometimes you just have to go to city council meetings. Learn, read, understand the issue, come up with solutions. Powerful, but man, you're lucky to be an American. Sure, it could be much, much worse. We'll take a break. We'll come back. More ideas, more information to help you live, love, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Play-Doh Day. This is the day. Say, Mr. Bill, you're wasting energy. I'll shut the door. Little quote from uh, Mr. Bill, who made Plato popular. <laughs> you gotta love Mr. Bill, and we—it's uh, also maybe even more important than Mr. Bill and Plato Day. It's Guacamole Day. I'm gonna chop it off and cut it up and make some guacamole. <laughs> yes. Now, who would think that an avocado and chopping it up and making some guacamole would actually have its own day? But today's the day. Who doesn't love a little guacamole and chips? Mm-hmm. I'm okay without it. Really? Yeah. Salsa. You're a salsa. It's the way to go. Man. Yeah. Terry, are you a guac guy? Yeah, it's fine. Are you a guy that would just like take a slice of avocado and pop it in your mouth? Mm, sure. And we're getting a big head nod no from Jeffrey. No. My problem with avocados is you go to the store and you buy the avocado. It, and you, you, you try to guess, is this ready to go? You don't want to cut it too early, yeah. but you don't want yeah. to open it up too late because then it's all black and you can't eat it. Or you probably could, but you probably don't want to. And if you cut it too early and it's not ripe... It just doesn't work. Yeah. So trying mm. to find the perfect time for uh, that avocado, and then is, you have five of them, and they all go ripe at the exact I same know. moment. And you, you don't need five avocados. No. This is where you need kind of a personal a personal grocer. What do they call them? A personal produce person mm-hmm. that can just say, it is ready, sir. And you always look and like a weirdo standing there squeezing the avocado yeah. and going, hmm. Uh, excuse me, can you quit uh, squeezing the produce, sir? But then you you put it back and like somebody else will come up later. Yeah. And they're just – everyone's squeezing on the avocado and at some point you're going to ruin the fruit. Well, and, I mean just think about the poor avocado. You're just getting squoze all day. What if you don't want to be touched? Yeah. What if you're an introvert, mm. avocado? Ah, oh, the questions we ask on the Matt Townsend Show. We have got a great show. Today we're going to be talking about can you over-exercise? Not a problem I've ever had. Uh, Over-exercising, apparently you can overdo it. I mean, you could blow your heart up. Have you seen those? right up. Mr. Universe guys? Yeah. It's a little too much exercise. It seems like it. Plus, a little too much sun. Well, that might be artificially, like, smothered on. It's paint. You know, like Donald Trump. You know, we have a paint company now that's sponsoring us. Really? What's the name of the company? 
Wilson Stevens paint. Wilson Stevens paint. All natural ingredients. Hmm. So you can paint yourself. You can paint anything you want to paint. If you wanted to paint a white ibis. Okay. We talked about that earlier. from Florida. Turtles. You, turtles. Yeah. It's, it's a kinder, gentler way to paint wildlife. It fades in only weeks. Hmm. I don't get why people need to do that, but we are so glad that they're willing to sponsor us. Mm. It's hard to get sponsors for a show, and we've, we're picking up a lot of them lately. It's pretty cool. It's good. I think it's because we're doing something right. Now we're, we will for sure have the avocado growers of California. Yes, we need you. So we will, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We'll get into the, you know, the amount of exercise. What's, what's the healthy amount? Not too much. Or not is too there much. a healthy and amount? And is there a healthy amount? I'm going to bet there is because we know that there's an unhealthy amount. None. Zero or too much. Right. So what's, what's, the, what's that sweet What's spot? the number? I just need to know the number. Right. Just give me the number. Where's the Goldilocks zone for exercise? This one's just right. <laughs> we'll get to that. Also, a crazy story about a guy who used Hollywood uh, makeup. To try to elude police. We have reporters on the scene. See, the criminals are being very clever, just not good on the execution. Yeah, they've got great, I think, ideas. Yeah, execution's failing. Yeah. Bummer. But that's where you're here to help. That's right. Kind of give them some critiques. Maybe next time, think about this. Coaching the con, we call it. Yeah. Have the car started before you rob the bank. That's That's a better way. Always. And uh, (laughs) how to use the proper use of makeup. Yeah. And masks to elude police. Plus a story about a llama. It Honestly, it's more than a story. Uh, when Jeff and I were listening and talking about it, Jeff started to cry. Mm. Because this is what we need in America is this unification that we found between a wedding party and a llama convention. Wow. You could see some conflicts if a wedding all of a sudden was trying to – Happened during a llama convention. I mean, imagine you're the bride and somebody says, oh, yeah, we have a llama convention that same day. Yeah. You'd be ticked. But this this couple was amazing. They came together. It was great. Yeah. We'll Jeff talk about cried it. and cried. So we'll get to that as well. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's up? Donald Trump is really proud of himself for helping to reduce the public's trust in the news media. A Gallup survey released this week showed that just 32% of Americans trust that journalists are reporting the news fairly and accurately. The media has been dishonest, and I look at that poll and said, wow, because every speech I talk about it, Trump said, and I will tell you that everybody is talking about the dishonest. He singled out CNN as the Clinton News Network with terrible ratings. During a a Thursday speech at the New York Economic Club, Donald Trump revealed a revised plan for economic growth that he said will be amazing to watch. Trump announced that his plan will result in a 4.4 trillion tax cut and subsequently huge economic growth and job creation. The economic growth spurred by these changes will not only pay for his policy proposals, including the child care plan he rolled out earlier this week, but will also stimulate further economic expansion, Trump said. Hillary Clinton's campaign announced Thursday that Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Bernie Sanders will be hitting the campaign trail with her in Ohio this weekend. The announcement came just a day after two different polls showed Donald Trump pulling five points ahead in the Buckeye State. While Clinton led in Ohio in a July poll by four points, she now lags behind Trump 46 percent to 41 percent. And finally... A train conductor in Spain left more than 100 passengers stranded as he abandoned the train because his shift had ended. 
109 passengers were briefly stranded on the train bound for Madrid when the conductor shut down the engine and left the controls at, <laughs> of a train stop in Orsonio, even though the co- other conductor was available. Passengers wow. were told the trip was delayed due to technical issues. Um, they also received a refund due to the delay. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. My day's over. <laughs> he just walks away. He actually, um, according to a spokesperson, though, he was following legal rules. Oh, because, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Because had he gone over his time, it would have been bad news. Right. Yeah, because then, then there would be an investigation if there had been an accident and he'd be in trouble. That's happened here where bus drivers have just I'm walked out. away. Because like, you hit a certain number right. of hours you can drive. If you drive more, they take your license. So the driver just walks off the bus, went over to a motel, slept for about six hours. Oh, that's the people right. were on the bus when we talked about that story. I think he's a family man. Just wanted to get home to his family. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know how you read that into there. I don't see that. He. Um, it's probably. I mean, it. It seems to me that every job ought to have just a point where you're done. And you just walk away. Why can't a talk show host have just so many hours mm. and then we're just done? Well, you kind of do. I mean. Oh yeah. Well, it's a good you, point. You'll just tell me I'm done. We're not talking anymore. I'm done talking. I'm, I can't even do one minute on Instagram. We're just not yeah, doing that. No. I'm exhausted. I can't. I can't do it. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe I've, I've, I've kind of created my own little standard. But it's good. You have to be the person to say no. Somebody's got to say no. And don't feel guilty. Yes. No, I don't. <laughs> That's the thing is you, you, I still do feel guilty, but not anymore because I'm done. Yeah. My voice can only take so much. You worry about you. You have speeches today. I have speeches today. <sighs> That's why you're wearing a tie. What's that on there? Is it an elephant? Those are elephants. Wow. Are you trying to? No, it's not a GOP tie. Everyone oh. asks, is that a GOP tie? And I'm sa- right. I say, no, it's a tie from, it's a, it's from Thailand. Like the store? Yeah. Thailand? T-I-E. <laughs> Land. No, real Thailand. Oh, and, wow. Um, apparently. Elephants are elephants a big deal. Elephants are a big deal. And so it's kind of a sacred tie. Oh, Nice. Aren't they kind of revered there? Yeah, they are. I like how you have your, your top button on your shirt unbuttoned mm-hmm. and your sleeves rolled up. Yeah, you look like I'm, a real newsman. I'm, I'm, well, I'm here ready to work. You're working. Working! You're like Fox News in the afternoon. <laughs> That's right. Really? <laughs> we take off our jackets here at work. That's how serious we are. <laughs> Just don't overwork. We don't want you running to the window and shouting you're not going to take it anymore. <gasps> Good point. I don't think we could open the windows here. I'm always looking down on the construction and... I wish those windows would open because there's times I just want to yell down, keep going, bud. You're doing great. I'm here to help. I'm here to help you have a positive experience. Um, Crazy story we wanted to tell you about. A fugitive nearly evades police using Hollywood quality disguise. That's a big deal. This guy, by the way, his name is Sean the Shiz Miller. (laughs) He was so desperate that the police surrounded his house in South Yarmouth, Massachusetts, and were demanding that the alleged drug trafficker, a fugitive for months, come outside. Miller did exactly that, but not before slipping into a wrinkled, liver-spotted mask that added about half a century to the 30-year-old's face. Hmm. I wonder, I mean, he just had the mask ready, I guess. So he came out looking old. Came out looking old. Hmm. And, uh... 
It was a criminal Hail Mary, they're calling it, the police are, to be sure, but it worked for a time. Upon further investigation, officers determined that the elderly man was, in fact, Miller. And at that point, officers pulled off Miller's unrealistic disguise and placed him under arrest. A statement released by the U.S. attorney, Carmen M. Ortiz, said Miller may have been caught, but his strategy seemed to impress the arresting officers. It was Hollywood quality, they're saying. It was Hollywood quality. Uh, We now have an interview with the police officer that made the arrest. Yeah, we fell for it. Uh, He had us going there. Uh, The mask uh, was Hollywood quality. But then I decided to give his liver spots a little rub, at which point I discovered they were fake. Yeah, I still live with my dad, so I knew what to look for. And I uh, says to the guy, I says, say, freeze! At uh, which point he proceeded to uh, freeze. And we also found some fake teeth, fake wings, fake uh, toenail clippings. We also found some dog duties, but those turned out to be real. Yeah, we found out the hard way on that one. That's it. That's a good cop, though. He's checking yeah. everything. Thorough. Thorough investigation. That's an important point that we we probably all ought to pay attention to. A lot of times you, you don't hear the real message of the, the – but always check a liver spot. You know? You know, though, Miller actually got the last word in. Did he? Yeah. Yes. Might have gotten away with it, too. It wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. Ah, there you go. That's a great point, too. Mm. I didn't remember the kids and the dog. Was there a dog in the story? Well, you know, the officers oh, were probably kind of like young. A kid, yeah. so and then the, officer, they had the, the police op- dog. Yeah, police dog. So moral of the story, check the liver spots. Hmm. And uh, if you're about to be arrested, in order, and we want to coach the con here, uh, you know, maybe you spend a little bit more time on the makeup. Let it dry so when they rub the liver spot, it doesn't smear. I wonder if he was in there applying all the makeup and just saying, hold on, just give me a minute. Just a minute. <laughs> I'm getting ready. That's great. Well, good job on the – see the police force. They're all over it. They're all over it. Hey, one other crazy story we, were, we wanted to you know, set you up for. Maybe let's save it. Should we save it for the end of the hour? The story about the Llama Fest? Because ah, it's such a motivational one. And I want you to stick with us and, and listen because – there's something about this our society today where we're so divided and you feel like hmm you maybe we're just a bunch of pieces that can never integrate. It's not true. It's not true. If a wedding party and a llama convention can make friends, then so can you. Insight right here on the Matt Townsend show. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the most common rule for exercise ever told is that if a person gets 30 minutes of physical activity each day, that person will live a healthier life. Yet today, the new trend sees people, men, women, moms, dads, finding every time, every minute they get, they try to hit the gym. The more we exercise, the healthier we will be, right? 
Well, that may not always be the case. Andrea Ovard, a clinical dietitian at the University of Utah Hospital in the cardiac ICU and medical units, is here today to discuss the problems that come with exercising too much and how we can find the right balance between too little and too much. Andrea Ovard, thanks for being with us again. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's good to be on the show. This is a problem, Andrea, that I have never um, had. I think that is true for most people. I is think it? very few people have the problem of exercising too much. Who, yeah, who exercises too much? <laughs> Man, I think I just well, no, you know what? Here's the problem: when I when I don't exercise, and then I do exercise, like I'll go play tennis, and I'll, I'll pull. I I feel like I pulled dozens of muscles in my body. Didn't even know I had dozens. <laughs> yeah. But um, the, I guess the dilemma is the too much, too little. A lot of us have a hard time finding that happy spot. Yeah, you've definitely got to find a balance. I mean, just with anything, you know, I always talk about moderation in our diets, but I think it definitely goes for exercise as well. You want to do enough, but you can also overdo it. Yeah. And when you overdo it, I mean, you're you're sitting there in a cardiac unit with as as a dietitian. I mean, the heart is a muscle. Right. And mm-hmm. if it's not used, if it's not strengthened, if it's not taken care of, It'll create problems. But if it's overused, it can also create problems. Yeah, it can. I mean, exercise is very important for all of our muscles and especially our heart, which is probably one of the most important muscles in our body. And exercise is one of the best ways that we can keep it strong and healthy, but overdoing it can actually cause some negative effects. And some studies have even shown that, you know, especially in like endurance athletes, people who are training for marathons and triathlons all the time, there actually can be some changes within the heart that can cause arrhythmias, which is just kind of an unnatural heartbeat, either too fast or too slow, which can lead to heart problems. Hmm. Now, there's a lot of myths about exercise Let's start blowing some of them up. What are some of the myths that you think just the average citizens we need to pay attention to? Um, I think just the fact that you can't exercise too hard is a big one. You know, people are always saying push yourself to the limit and, you know, just the harder you work out, the better. And you definitely do want to push your, push yourself and get your heart rate up. You don't want to be, you know, just kind of walking along leisurely and counting it as exercise always. But uh, you can definitely do work out not only too often, but too hard as well when you're working out. You need to be in tune with your body, making sure that, you know, you're not pushing it too hard. And then, like, I, I don't know if you've heard the term rest days before, but those are very important. And sometimes people think, you know, you got to work out every day of the week um, in order to be consistent. But rest days and taking a break are, are important for your body. So we don't. So I guess one of the myths is we don't need to exercise every day. We don't, no. Um, I mean, there's no set recommendation for exactly how many days a week to work out. It's more based on how many hours or how many minutes a week. But on average, um, you know, five days a week, maybe six days a week. But you definitely need to take at least one or two rest days a week for your body to just recover and the stress put on your body. And also just because people get burnt out. You know, if you're trying to work out every single day, seven days a week, that's probably for most people not going to last very long before they're burnt out. So true. So true. Is um, so we we don't necessarily need to do it every day, but you you said it's more about time, how much time we're spending. Is there an amount of time generally per day we should spend? Does it need to be an hour? Is it a half hour? Um, so the recommendation kind of is that at least you need to do it within 10-minute increments. So you need to do more than 10 minutes a day. But as long as you're doing it for 10 minutes at a time, you can do it several times per day. 
Um, generally, so the recommendation from the CDC, which is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which kind of put out these type of recommendations, their recommendation is at least 150 minutes a week, and that equals two and a half hours. So that would come out to about 30 minutes a day, five days a week. Hmm. And that's, I guess, I mean, this is, there's one thing that's exercise, you know, you get the spandex on, mm-hmm. I put my headband, my wristbands, my leg warmers, I get it all on, and then I go work out. Right. Then it, that seems different than physical activity. Yeah, and they are different. You don't need to have all of your exercise. You definitely do need to incorporate some of that more heavy, um, intense exercise for some of the benefits. You do want to get your heart rate up, but not all of your exercise has to be running or lifting weights. It can be things, they, they did a study um, actually that showed that more exercise is better and they they recommended like two hours a day which seems like a lot but Mm. they were saying that not all of that has to be actually at the gym or outside running that can include you know just walking or biking to the store or gardening or doing housework so all of those those things that get kind of get your heart rate moving a little bit and get you moving around can be incorporated or included in your your Mm. physical activity is uh i mean that's part of it too just you have to walk into your building right you have to you're walking constantly Mm. i guess part of the game and this is the greatest benefit of having one of these fitbits or uh, Mm. a higher tech watch is it tells you how if you're standing enough it tells me when i'm too sedentary uh, it should just say, hey, Tubby, move it. <laughs> yeah. But instead it just says, hey, better stand. Exactly. It just yeah. kindly and, motivates you. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, you know, I think the little things definitely add up. I always encourage my patients to take the stairs or, you know, park far away. Um, just little things that are giving you a little bit extra because they really do add up. Um, trying to stand, like they even have standing desks for mm-hmm. some people now that I think can be really helpful. And and making sure if you are at a desk job where you're sitting a lot, um, that you're getting up about every hour and just kind of going for a quick little walk to to get your heart rate up and, you know, just get moving around a little bit. So if you're moving two hours a day, um, that's probably help. I mean, just cleaning your house. Think about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. It's, exactly. it's, it's just staying mobile, right? Yeah, exactly. Just taking care of things around the yard and the house and and just making sure that you're moving and not just sitting on the couch or laying in bed. Does it need to be cardiovascular? Like, because I'm sitting here thinking, um, lifting weights, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't lift many weights, but (laughs) I have years ago. Uh I don't think it still matters. (laughs) But if we're lifting weights, um, that's exercise. And I guess that's healthy. That's good for us. But yeah. not necessarily going to work our heart out incredibly. Not as, not as much necessarily. So the the cardiovascular or you know the exercise where you're really um, moving, running, biking, elliptical, different things like that. That's where you're going to get more benefit for your heart and strengthening your heart muscle, just because it has to beat harder and it's you know it's exercising that muscle essentially. Um, the muscle as in strength training and weightlifting, that is important as well. And the CDC, like I mentioned before, that they recommend at least half an hour, five days a week. They actually recommend that you do muscle and strength training at least twice a week as well, because that's really important just for improving your, it can increase your lean body mass, which helps with your metabolism, which helps with weight control. So there's a lot of good positive benefits from that as well. So you need to make sure you're doing both kinds of exercises because they're both important in different ways. Mm. Um, when you, when I, do I need a trainer? So I I, I do these television 
segments, and this year they want me to get a trainer. Well, mm-hmm. it was my idea. Okay. I'm going to get a trainer for 90 days, mm-hmm. and I guess they're going to follow me okay. while I pull my muscles and embarrass uh-huh. myself. What uh, Do I need a trainer to get healthy? I mean, you would say – I know you'll say no, right. but a lot of us don't know what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's very true, and that's actually something I was kind of thinking about as I was kind of getting ready to to talk to you about this is um, it's just kind of different for everybody. And even I I feel like I work out pretty regularly and consistently, but I sometimes feel a little bit lost at the gym and things. I think it just kind of depends on what works for you. They have a lot of different – trainers can be really helpful. If you you have the ability and the money and everything, they're a great option. They can kind of teach you how to be comfortable at the gym and give you ideas of what exercises to do and what you need to be doing. But if that's not an option, and it's not for a lot of people – um, for different reasons, then you don't need a trainer. I mean, there are a lot of things you can find just online now, training programs. There are programs that you can buy for pretty cheap um, that kind of will give you a little bit more structure as far as what to do at home or at the gym. Um, so, you know, there's workout videos and classes. So there's a lot of different options out there other than just training. Oh, yeah. Trainer. I'm telling you, YouTube so I play tennis, uh-huh. and I thought I knew tennis, and then I went and watched YouTube, and I found out I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> you can learn pretty much anything on YouTube now. That's so. pretty cool. So um, your basic recommendation so far is about 30 minutes of uh, exercise a day, five days a week. Yeah. But so, moderation is the idea. And, exactly. and I guess if, if you're really hurting or you can't breathe, uh-huh. back it down. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you want to push yourself and, you know, you don't want to give up just because it's hard, obviously. But if you're to the point where you're feeling pain or lightheaded or, you know, that's something that you don't want to push through, you definitely want to be listening to your body and making sure that you're paying attention to those signals that maybe you're straining it a little bit too much. Hmm. Great insight. Again, we are speaking with Andrea Ovard. Um, she is a registered dietitian. Go to her website, thebakingdietitian.com. Wonderful insights there. Plus, you can find out about her cake business as well. I've decided I'm ordering a cake, and I'm going to eat it. I'm going to order an exercising cake and eat it while I'm exercising. Great stuff. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue the discussion about the healthy amount of exercise. Stick with us. Touchdown every morning. Ten times, not just now and then. Give that chicken fat back to the chicken and don't be chicken again. Did you call me no, fat? don't be chicken I love this again. song. Chicken fat. <laughs> oh, this brings back memories, Jeffrey. Everybody, ten times. We would we would do this every time we were going to Disneyland. We'd wake up, put on this song, do some quick exercise. Would you really? And then go to Disneyland. We when this song was playing in elementary school, you hit the deck. Everyone starts doing their push-ups ten times. Oh, the joy of exercise! And who better to walk us through it than Andrea Ovard? Andrea is our uh, resident nutritionist. She's she's trying to make us healthier. And today we're discussing with her about uh, exercise. Can you can you over-exercise? Andrea, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, definitely. And go check out her website, thebakingdietitian.com. You will definitely salivate. <laughs> I hope so. There's some great... Uh, you, you're taking some good pictures of some awesome food there. 
Yeah, it's been fun. So 30 minutes a day, but if we could, two minutes of or two hours or so of physical activity, just moving, walking, breathing. Right. You know, get, get going down to get some cronuts. <laughs> yeah. Fun stuff like at least that. you're walking to them. <laughs> That's right. Is uh but then I look at all these other people. In fact, I almost hit one with my car yesterday accidentally as I was driving by a gym. Um a guy came out of the gym and then just ran right into the road to start his workout. But the gym rat mentality, is there – there's a point, right, where you just need to do something other than work out. That is true. And they're actually um, – recently, as they've, this has kind of become more of a problem in our culture. And I, I don't think, you know, going to the gym often and working out hard is a bad thing. But it can get to the point where it's too much. And they've actually just created a new diagnosis called exercise addiction, which is sort of in the same realm with eating disorders where it's it's almost an obsession with exercise. And, you know, you can't live a normal, regular life because you're so – exercise is so important to you and you almost plan your life around exercise and you're pushing it too hard and a lot of times can lead to injuries and burnout and different things like that. Huh. Uh, yeah, I guess that's – you could become addicted to it because you get a chemical high doing it. Right, yeah. And I mean definitely, you know, that's one of the benefits of exercise is that it can help with depression, help improve your mood, and, and that's a good thing. Um, but sometimes you can – yeah, if you become too dependent on just that for, you know, making you feel better, then that's, that can become a problem. Don't you think, if, if we're going to be honest here, Andrea, that um, some of this is really from the devil – like, for example, um, a plank. Mm-hmm. Who invented a plank other than the dark side? It, it can be a pretty horrible thing sometimes. I agree. I've done many planks in my day, and I kind of had that same thought as I'm doing them. Like, why are we doing this? Yeah. It's horrible. Um, are there also, I guess, and one of the things on your website, thebakingdietitian.com, you have an entire section there for workouts, mm-hmm. ideas about workouts. What if so? If I'm about to go in and and have a workout, I see all these people drinking these protein shakes mm-hmm. and these protein drinks. But if you're drinking a protein drink or shake without a workout, aren't you just gaining fat or calories? I mean, yeah, usually. I mean, you definitely need to be you know using that those calories to burn them off. If you're just adding extra protein shakes and things like that, and if you're using it as, you know, kind of like a meal replacement for breakfast or something, then that's okay. But if you're going to be drinking a lot of protein shakes, eating protein bars, you need to be working that off as well because those calories, they're usually, those things are usually really high in calories um, because it's supposed to be supporting a workout. But if you're not actually doing the workout, then you're just gaining a lot of calories and probably gaining weight. Uh, what What is a good workout meal? Like if I have to, do I want to eat before I go work out? Do I, do I want to go hungry? How, yeah, how, what, so, what, how do I do that? So usually it's, it's better to eat before a workout if that's an option. Sometimes people work out. Sometimes I work out really early in the morning and I just can't get anything down before I go. But I notice that I'm usually more tired when I do that. So eating something before you go work out is a good idea. And actually your pre-workout meal, you want to focus more on carbs and less on protein um, as opposed to a post-workout, you want to focus a little bit more on protein and less on carbs because carbs is kind of what gives us our energy. So having kind of a mixed meal of maybe like a, a good one for me, like when I've done races and stuff in the past, like half marathons and things, is, you know, just a piece of toast, whole wheat toast with a little bit of peanut butter and half a banana. And that's a good combination of carbs, protein, fat, 
to, and you, you want to keep it pretty light. You don't want to be weighed down, obviously. And you want to eat it probably at least like 30 minutes before your workout. Oh. You're not eating right as you're walking into the gym. Or, yeah, because I, I don't recommend like lasagna, a big lasagna <laughs> meal before you do. A great pre-workout meal. <laughs> <laughs> but the carbs, that's an interesting idea because you need the energy. And um, just the other day, I was feeling really down and exhausted. And I then realized I hadn't eaten. Yeah. For eight hours. Mm-hmm. Had a little food, changed my entire mood. Exactly. You're probably a little bit hangry. Hangry's that the word. to me. Yeah. When I, um, so that's what we would eat before and then after you're saying more protein. Yeah. Um, so that's when your muscles are recovering and you want to try to eat within 15 minutes to half an hour after a workout. And that's when a protein shake, or it doesn't have to be any, you know, any kind of specific protein product, but just something with some protein in it. Um, again, some peanut butter and an apple or, you know, a handful of trail mix or something like that, um, that has some protein to help rebuild your muscles and then also having a little bit of carb as well to replenish the the energy that you've used. And tell me what's happening as I'm playing tennis, for example, with my family. It's fun. I love it. It's a great Mm -hmm. game. But after and for days, my body aches. um, And I mean, it used to. Now I'm getting it's better. Uh Um, But what what was happening to my body? Well, so you're straining those muscles and, you know, using them in different ways than you're maybe used to. And so it just causes stress on those muscles that tends them or makes them tend to be sore for a couple of days. And then if you, you know, like you said, if you notice if you're doing exercise consistently, you usually are a little bit less sore. And in some ways that soreness is a good thing because it shows you that you're working new muscles and you're making progress. Your muscles are doing things that they're not used to doing, but, um, you know, so there's kind of a happy balance there. But the more that you use them, the more that you get used to working out, the the better it will be. You won't be quite as sore usually. Is I, I guess that's what you were saying earlier that you let your body tell you what's going on. Your body mm-hmm. will tell you when you need to slow down. So really, we we are partners. This sounds so weird, but we are partnering with our bodies, right? So yeah. my mind, my thinking, my head, my spirit is trying to partner with my body to make mm-hmm. it through this. But you need to pay attention to the signs of your body. What are some of the signs we need to make sure we are watching for? Um, Like I kind of said before, lightheadedness is one. If you're feeling really lightheaded, that's not a good thing. Um, If you're feeling any kind of pain other than, I mean, you're going to be tired, obviously, if you're, you know, running or lifting weights, it's going to be a strenuous thing. But if it's actually painful to the point where it hurts, um, then that's, that, those are kind of things that you need to look for is just, you know, anything that feels off or feels like not just difficult, but just actually feels wrong or painful or, you know, is, is hurting. And if you wake up in the morning or, you know, you're about to go head out to work out and you're just feeling, some people will try to work out through being sick or, you know, sometimes if you're on the verge of sickness and you push yourself too hard and keep working out, that can actually make it worse than if you just gave yourself a couple of days to rest. So anytime that you're starting to feel just a little bit of sickness coming on. It's probably a good idea to take a rest day for a couple of days. Hmm. It just is common sense, isn't it? This is just basic common sense. It seems like it should be, but I think sometimes we just get in this mentality that, you know, we got to just push through it because that's kind of the society we live in today is just always keep pushing and, and that can backfire on us sometimes. And a little other advice from you um, as an expert here. So it seems like what we do is we we get this idea that we're going to work out. Um, we get this idea of what we look like when we're working out. Like mm-hmm. we think we think we look like, you know, this ripped superstar. Yeah. And then um, 
we go look in the mirror after and we just look like blah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you keep your head in this workout game? Right. I so, think, you know. Yeah, I think just focusing on, again, on our bodies and just how you feel, how it makes you feel. I've read a lot of books on, um, you know, body image and things like that. And, and more just focusing, instead of focusing on the scale and am I losing weight and what do I look like, just focusing on what our bodies can do. I mean, our bodies are pretty amazing in the fact that, you know, we have bodies, hope most of us that work, you know, and let us hike and rock climb and do all these fun things, just focusing on how we feel and the ability that our bodies have to actually do all of these amazing things, focusing on that as opposed to just how are we looking and, you know, it, you know that is that is an important part of it and, you know, you want to be healthy and lose weight and things like that, but more just focusing on, on how exercise makes us feel and doing it as, you know, an appreciation of our body as opposed to a punishment for overeating or not looking like we feel like we should. Mm. The uh, Really, what if we just got really good at how we feel? Exactly. I think that would solve a lot of problems. And it seems like, too, our bodies, you're wired to do that. It's mm-hmm. just so subtle. We don't, we'd rather listen to the commercial telling us how we feel versus what our spirit or our mind is telling us. Yeah. And I think a lot of the problem comes um, from, you know, just comparing ourselves with others. And and that can be hard, especially with social media right now. I mean, I run an Instagram and Twitter account for, for my baking dietitian stuff. And I, I tend to get caught in that, you know, comparing myself with what others are doing or looking like. And, and I, and one of my favorite quotes is comparison is the thief of joy. And I think, you know, we have to focus on being better than ourselves every day, not better than somebody else and not really comparing ourselves to what others are doing or looking like. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. Okay, um, one more question, and we'll let you go. Yeah. Uh, so if you were going to tell us the one thing to remember, mm-hmm. and maybe you already have told us, okay. if there's one thing we take away to make sure we're getting a healthy amount of exercise, not too mm-hmm. much, not too little, mm-hmm. what what's the one thing? I think the biggest thing, and this may sound silly and so simple, but it's just to have fun because if you're doing exercise that you hate, if you hate running and you're trying to run, you're it's not going to last <laughs> right. and you're not going to do it very long. Um, so finding things that you like, whether it's hiking or doing kickboxing classes or yoga or, you know, running with your dog or whatever. I, I heard a quote that said, or uh, from a study I think that I read, that said that the two things that stop people from losing weight and exercise are boredom or injury. And, and I think if you're doing things that you don't like that are boring you or that are, you know, just not fun to you, that's going to be the biggest problem. So you need to, the best exercise is the one that you'll do, you know. So whatever whatever you like, just try out different things and find something that you enjoy and, and incorporate that into your life every day. Love it. Awesome advice. Her name's Andrea Ovard. The website, thebakingdietitian.com. Go check it out. It's got workouts, recipes, everything you need. Plus, you can follow some links there and find uh, that uh, Andrea's got her own little baking site as well. Fun stuff. We'll come back to a little Coach's Corner. When I'm calling you Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Slim Whitman. Uh, this is called the Indian Call. What's it called? The Indian, Indian Love, Love Call. Call. And I don't know what it is, but you, there you could hear it uh, moving away um, a, a 
pack of bears, polar bears. Yeah, we did have about five people in the studio, and now it's just yeah, you and me. Cleaned it right out. Fantastic. Hey, um, we we've got a lot to talk about. This this uh, our discussion with Andrea Ovard and the baking dietitian. It's an important discussion, and I'm going to get very personal with you. This week was it? This week? Yeah, Tuesday. Well, I don't know. Sometime this week, I went in and had an endoscopy done, where they put you to sleep for 20 minutes, and they then stuff a camera down your throat. Sounds great. It's fantastic. By the way, the sleeping part, incredible. The camera part, don't remember. However, I realized that uh, you could be doing something and not even know the impact it's having on you on the inside until they stick a camera down you and say, oh, you must, you must have a lot of ibuprofen every day. Is Donald Trump uh, volunteering to do this? No. No. I hope not because I don't want to see the video. So I, I beg you to start to tune in to your body. I have known that uh, taking ibuprofen was hurt, hurting me. It just I mean, it just I thought it was helping me, but I was taking it because I get sinus infections and then I'd get just headaches. So wouldn't it make more sense to go deal with the sinus infection instead of just medicating with ibuprofen? The ibuprofen then ruins the lining of your stomach. It's a system. And I can get rid of the system by stopping overuse of NSAIDs, S-A-I, you know, ibuprofen, painkillers. So why I bring it up is there's just little things in life, little tiny things that your body is telling you right now. It's telling you if you're constantly tired, it's telling you you need to maybe watch your diet. You need to get more sleep. Just tune in. So in your head right this second, will you be thinking, what is your body telling you you need to do more of? And for heaven's sakes, will you go do it? Do it. Just do it. Then you can catch it early. So I can catch my problem before I have an ulcer. Isn't that great? So I feel blessed and lucky that I caught it early. Um, and I just want to pass that wisdom on to you. The baking dietitian taught us, pay attention to your body. And right now in your head, think of that one thing and just work on that one thing for the next month. A little coaching moment for you. Now, we've got to get to a story we promised to bring you about a bride and a groom and their wedding coinciding with a llama convention. I mean, if you just are spending ten, twenty thousand dollars on your wedding, and you found out uh, a couple days before, oh yeah, oh you're you're having your wedding the day of the llama convention, the week of the llama convention, would you not be frustrated? Well, uh, these two people they crashed the party and they created a really powerful moment. Th- this is the quote. From Alexis Kluger, we crashed the llama party. The llamas did not crash our party, Alexis Kluger said, um, about the surprise animal encounter back at the hotel after their big day. They were all totally into it. They were like, come hang out with us. We all decided to go play with the llamas because they had music going all night and they were partying all night long with the llamas. So this bridal party decided to combine the party with the llama. The llama people, 
I, I don't know. You, I don't know. You call them llama people, the llama owners. That's not politically correct. It doesn't sound politically correct. The llama. The llama people. As uh, fate would have it, there was a llama convention happening at the hotel in Flat Rock, North Carolina. The couple didn't know about the event coinciding with their most magical day of their lives until they called the hotel to try to block off more rooms for their guests. But to no avail, we had a big wedding afterward and we all went back to the hotel. Someone came in and said, hey, there's llamas outside. So we went out to the lobby. There were a ton of people and uh, eight llamas in the lobby. Sounds like a party. That's great that they were able to get over this initial bump in their plans and just yeah. really hit it off. Because this could have caused a huge division, and it didn't. Didn't cause a division. So this is the point and the reason we wanted to tell you the story, because it instead it created something that neither of them expected, and it was magical, and it was powerful, and it was a unification. It was a wedding Llama Fest. Two people, two groups never anticipated it, and it happened. And we at the Matt Townsend Show want to make sure all of us get this message. Here's a PSA, a public service announcement produced by one of our great reporters, Ron Brokaw. We at the Matt Townsend Show would like to bring you this important message of brotherhood, or rather, llamahood. We need not be annoyed with or live in fear of the oft-misunderstood llama. Sure, they may spit, kick, and even neck-wrestle from time to time, but who among us hasn't? Llamas are actually quite social and friendly. Just ask Alexis Kluger, who shared a hotel banquet hall with a llama convention on the day of her wedding, even though she didn't know about the event coinciding with the most magical day of her life. And now, what started as a chance encounter has turned into a lifelong friendship. Sure, the llama may remind you of a college roommate, but with a little understanding, he could very well become a soulmate. So please, when you come in contact with a llama, don't stir up any llama drama. Instead, get to know him, maybe by sharing a meal at Chakarama, introducing him to your mama taking him on a trip to the Bahamas, or even going shopping for Obama pajamas. You'll be glad you did. A message from llama lovers across America. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday. It's the day we're wrapping up the week. Come on. You're so close. We are almost there. Welcome back to the program. Got a great hour for you. Of course, because it's Fridays, we will be um, talking movies with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Get into some of those, uh, you know, the, the new releases that will be coming out. Get a little parent's view of what we might want to let our kids watch, what we might not. Also, probably be doing a little news flush. We've got a lot of news to get through, just information that that we never have been able to get to. We've stored it. We've got ideas on it. We think you might want to know some of it. Some of it might even prove useful. We'll get to that as well. Also, BYU Sports Nation will be up on the show 
and of course our hero of the day. Plus, we're celebrating Play-Doh Day. You're the Play-Doh boy. Right. Kids love to squish it and squash it and roll it. Hmm. That's weird. I, I had a fun factory as a kid. Did you ever did you? play yeah, with the fun factory? Yeah. That was fun. Make spaghetti? Yeah. Yeah. That was Play-Doh Pete. That was Pete? That was a commercial from like the 60s, right? Wow. Play-Doh Pete. Yeah. I'm Play-Doh Pete. My, my kid gets kind of a homemade sort of Play-Doh yeah. from daycare. Oh, that's great. That stuff's gross. That's edible. Yeah, I just throw it away. I'm like, we have Play-Doh in like, the jars over here. We'll no. have those. Give them Legos. Legos, they're like gold. It's also guacamole day. He says, I'm going to pick your avocados, old man. What are you going to do about it? What would prompt you to do something so stupid, sir? Guacamole. That's it. Judge Judy deciding on a case about guacamole. Today we celebrate the green stuff. Oh, yeah. Nothing better than Dr. Gene. You'd think it would be really hard to put together a, a riveting song about guacamole. That sh- song was posted in August of 2015. It has 4.8 million views on YouTube. <laughs> this is what's wrong with our children today. Wow. You will not be able to get that song out of your head for the whole weekend. And, it, and the song is one thing. You've got to see Dr. Gene dance in front of a bowl of guacamole. <laughs> You haven't lived till you've seen her do the guac dance with her arms above her head. It's like a Zumba type. It's a Zumba for seniors. Yeah. And then I don't get the connection to guacamole. Other than it's maybe a catchy Is she a nutritionist? Tune. Maybe. It's a fun word to say. It's a great word. So we've introduced to you today Plato Pete from 1981 and Dr. Gene with the guacamole song. Maybe I'll see if Dr. Gene is available. <gasps> Maybe we can that, talk to Dr. Ooh, if Gene. we could get a live guacamole song, mm. that'd be cool. Okay, we'll get to all of that fun. But first, let's go to the queen of fun and information, Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Fast food lover and Taco Bowl connoisseur Donald Trump promised to, to put the FDA food police back in their place by eliminating specific regulations, a fact sheet released by his campaign Thursday said. In doing so, Trump would effectively roll back food safety regulations if he wins in the White House. The Food and Drug Administration has recently implemented new rules to protect Americans from foodborne illnesses involving controls on manufacturing, processing, packing, and otherwise handling food for both people, pets, and livestock. According to multiple, report, multiple reports, a man wielding a hatchet attacked an off-duty NYPD officer on Thursday afternoon outside Penn Station in Midtown Manhattan. Police officers reportedly fired upon the attacker, hitting him and grazing one officer in the back with a bullet. The suspect, described by the police sources as an emotionally disturbed person, reportedly attacked the officer with a hatchet following an initial altercation. The two injured officers were taken to a hospital along with the suspect, who was reportedly in critical condition. A 13-year-old boy was fatally shot in Columbus, Ohio on Wednesday night after police mistook the boy's BB gun for a real firearm. Police were called to the scene shortly before 8 p.m. after receiving reports of an armed robbery attempt. Upon arriving, police trailed King and another male into an alley, and the officer said in a statement King pulled a gun from his waistband when they attempted to take him and the other suspect into custody. An officer then fired repeatedly at King, the Associated Press reports. And finally... Dr. Matt, do you remember Harambe? Oh, of 
for sure. Love that. Love that. Loved that gorilla. Loved. I know. Past tense. Well, the name Harambe will be allowed to be printed on the back of sports jerseys again after the reversal... (laughs) of a shock ban on tributes to the dead gorilla. The name appeared earlier this week on a major retailer's banned word list, stopping fans of America's sport leagues and triggering uproar on social media. But after a reversal of the ban, sports fans will now make sure Harambe lives on through their jerseys. Wow. One, and one fan even suggested that their Harambe jersey will now be a collector's item. Yeah. So go ahead and get your uh, Harambe jerseys. So Harambe was the was the gorilla that they had to shoot at the Cincinnati Zoo. Yeah, mm-hmm. because a baby, a child fell in, in his pen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then there's been this huge movement about kind of Harambe reincarnated. He's turned into a meme. Everyone he, wants to put him out there. They want to use him for. They, it's kind of a, turning into a joke. The zoo has said, "Knock it off." Yeah, yeah. But people keep doing it. Well, it's one of the reasons why we are starting a new show, a new program at BYU Broadcasting about uh, called Digit, right? About the the monkey, the or the gorilla from yesterday. It's show. it's kind of a Harambe tribute. It's a, it's a tribute. Wow, thanks, Sadie. Harambe continues the vision and the the hope that Harambe brings. Right. Wow. You know, it brings it. It just brings back good memories. You know, right? It's all good. Um, weird uh, story today about an angry man throws a pizza and punches hmm. at the police station. Okay. In, bam! Bam! In the coaching the con segment, hmm. we want to give some coaching advice to this. Uh, to this. I guess now a felon. Authorities say a drunk driving suspect uh, was upset that his vehicle was still impounded a week after his arrest. So he threw pizza and punches at the Pennsylvania police station. Police say 44-year-old Sean Malloy showed up Thursday and began wrapping a chain around uh, the railing outside the police station. He also had a statue and a full box of pizza with him. Authorities say when the patrolman who arrested Malloy last week confronted him at the station, Malloy started throwing punches and pizza and had to be subdued with a stun gun. Surrender that gigantic pie. To the fame, I rascally And then Batman got involved. And a, and a full orchestra. Wow. There are some bops and zams and Wham. blorfs. Kapows. Pow. Kapow. Wow, that got messy. There's some puns. Why would he throw a pizza? I mean, I get the punches if you're mad. No. Don't waste a good pie. Mm, this is true. Just save the pie for later. <laughs> Maybe set it out of the way. Keep it safe. It's almost like he didn't think this through. You need a post-fight meal. Yeah. So they had pizza and punch. Hawaiian punch. Hey, we having a pizza party? It's a pizza and punch party. <laughs> I'll have some Kool-Aid. It's not that kind of punch. Kapow! Wow. That was great. I did not know Batman was involved in it. Well, I think that's the way Batman wants it. He wants to just sort of deliver the justice, not get credit for delivering the justice. Yeah. You you got to... Um, you got to you got to get in there but you don't you want you want the moment you want a little bit of the press and then you want to get out of there before the, the cops come the benefit is though you can never overestimate or underestimate the power of a good taser taser party over 
You've been electrocuted. Lots of punches, lots of statues, lots of pizza. You want to end it? Tase it. Hmm. That there's a good. That's there's a good slogan. You want to end it? Tase it. Mm. Wow. <sighs> a lot. A lot to learn. Um, any headlines, Terry, that we, we need to be getting in here? This came out earlier this week. I thought it was interesting. For the first time in years, the Pentagon has disclosed data indicating the number of troops it deems overweight, raising big questions about the health, fitness, and readiness of today's force. About 7.8% of the military, roughly one in every 13 troops, is clinically overweight, defined as a body mass index greater than 25 I hate that BMI. Yeah. This rate has crept upward since 2001 when it was just 1.6 or 1 in 60, according to the Defense Department data that was obtained by uh, the publication Military Times, it, and its highest amongst women, blacks, Hispanics, and older service members. Huh. You know what that means? Um, no. There's uh, soldiers you can hide behind? Because they're bigger, right? Hey, I want to stand by Larry. Um, currently, the military is in a lot of hot places, so there's someone you can hide behind for shade. So oh, this, this could be a benefit. They're looking at it as being negative. I think there's some benefits there. That is – how come everyone wants to be by Larry? <laughs> Larry's popular. He is such a good guy. Seriously. Lots of shade with Larry. Oh, that is so <laughs> sad. See, that's a fat joke. Sort of. You got away with it because you had had a lot, you had gained a lot of weight at one point. And you I am it. the healthiest human ever known to man. Right? That's what I read once. So um, that's good to know. Okay. <laughs> Any other crazy news we need to pay attention to? The peso. Yes. the 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 coinage, the the monetary. The Mexican monetary system. What's good for Donald Trump is bad for the Mexican peso, apparently. What do you mean? Bloomberg News found that over the last four months, when Trump's chances of winning the U.S. presidential election have increased, Mexico's currency has repeatedly declined in value. Really? Uh, For instance, after Hillary Clinton was diagnosed with pneumonia over the weekend and subsequently canceled a planned trip to California, the peso fell to a a two-and-a-half-month low. Mm. Overall, Bloomberg reports that the peso has weakened 10% this year, making it the second worst performing major currency. What do you think the worst performing major currency in the world is? Um, I would say something in North Korea. No. Um, Think major. Major? Well, uh, the euro. No. The dollar? No, the British pound. That's why they did the the Brexit. Brexit has made the pound the worst performing currency. Not absolutely. Major currency in the world. But it seems like, too, uh, and also the euro. So they're both going down together. They're kind of uh, Mm. interconnected that way. So, yeah, the peso goes Mm. up and down with Trump's chances. And today I'm reading Trump has a plausible path to 270. No, I am, too. I'm reading that. By the way. Says who? His his numbers went with Nate Silver. Mm-hmm. If you are tracking Nate Silver, the great the five, pollster. 538.com is yeah. the website. He, he, it was 80% chance Hillary winning this thing to 20% chance. It's now 60 40, mm-hmm. according to Nate Silver. That is crazy. Just think of the poor peso. 
It's tanking. Every time Trump is successful, the peso tanks. Well, here's the problem. How and are they going to pay for the wall? Exactly. Their money's worth nothing. And they're all go- they're going to have even more of a drive and a desire to get into a better economy. So he's, Trump's going to have uh, – the problem he thinks exists is going to be even bigger. Yeah. <sighs> this is crazy. 60-40. 60-40. And if he can get the 270 – that's the Electoral College. So he's, he's starting to move the needle in these states. Nevada, Pennsylvania is moving. Michigan's even moving. Florida. I mean, this is crazy. Hmm. It's turning into a race. Somebody needs to tell Donald Trump he is not – he's got a long shot. I don't think he understands this. Anyway, we'll get to that. Plus, uh, you know, so much more news when we come back. We are also going to be getting into um, a discussion with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com about the new releases coming out. Snowden is one of those. Sure. Snowden? No, Snowden's a Is it like one. an action, tri- That's a different action thriller? That, yeah. Snowden. Snowden. Snow day. Bunch of school kids. School is out. <laughs> no, it's Snowden. That named after Edward Snowden, who... Uh, the national security risk. You know the story. We'll come back and uh, enlighten you on the weekend movies. Oh, welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Rod Gustafson. Rod is from ParentPreviews.com and is a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Rod, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good. We kind of surprised you, jumped in on you there. Is it, um, is it, uh, you've got a big, you've got a big, not a big release, but one that's hitting a lot of, uh, the news you're 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 going to be talking about the new movie snowden after edward snowden the spy i guess that is that is right edward snowden well yeah the spy i guess that's yeah. the right is that what word? we call him the, the leaker I, the leaker sounds worse but the yeah, guy the that leaker sounds worse. he had the secrets and then he gave the secrets out and and basically exposed our national security agency yeah, exactly. And I mean, one of the big things that's surrounding Edward Snowden, of course, is what label do we give him? Some people give him the label of whistleblower. In other words, he's a hero. Other people say he's a traitor. And uh, yeah, of course, that's that's what we are hoping this movie is going to explore. Yeah. Is it it's an R-rated movie. How How is it being received by the general public and the press? Well, you know, I must admit, Matt, I'm still hammering out my review, and I'm not sure I'm going to check while we talk. But Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 56%. Thank you. That's just where I'm going. Yeah, and you know, I'm not too surprised. I actually try hard not to look until I'm done. Yeah, (laughs) Because I don't want to be influenced. But I'm not too surprised. You know, one of the issues with this film, and what's interesting, okay, first of all, it's interesting that Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 56%, because... I think Snowden is a bit of a hero within the liberal media. Mm-hmm. Uh, conservative media, obviously not. And But Oliver Stone directs this movie, and in some ways he tries way too hard to 
uh, to turn Edward Snowden into a hero. Like this is such a profoundly uh, push an agenda movie that there is no exploration at all of some of the negative consequences for what happened hmm. with the huge information leak. Yeah, I mean, there's huge recourse when you're giving these secrets away and problems that are out there. And a lot of times you only hear, I guess, the media pushing the, you know, he's, in, he's, he's at least informing. He's giving us the information we need to run a democracy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, it, that's the tough part about this is that some good things did come out of this, in my opinion, where we have stepped back and we've looked at some of this intelligence gathering that happened domestically with U.S. citizens. And you're wondering, well, why is the government gathering this information? But at the same time, when you look at the people, especially people in the field whose lives were put at risk by uh, by these leaks. And that is where I think, you know, we've got to be careful because there are real men and women out there just doing their job who were profoundly influenced by this mm. and sometimes in very dangerous ways. How is it portrayed in the movie? Um, so in the movie, he is very much a hero. Yeah, uh, this is the story of, of Edward Snowden, who really wanted to serve his country. He signed up to be a special force, forces operative. Uh, the grueling physical demands of basic training were more than he could that he could handle. He winds up breaking his leg. In reality, he did break his leg in basic training, from what I can understand. But in the movie, it takes it one step further where the doctor tells him, you know, your legs, there is no way that they, you have already created all these tiny microscopic fractures in them from carrying 60 pounds in basic training, and that if you... If you jump off of something one more time in your life, your legs are just going to shatter. So it's much more dramatic. And that happens a lot in this movie where uh, I can just tell that there is dramatic elements that have been handed, put into this and inserted into this that are purely fictitious and are there just to bolster the argument. Um, for example, his first day at the CIA, he gets hired at the CIA, walks in the door and he meets this old codger played by Nicolas Cage, a guy by the name of Hank Forrester, who I can't find any any confirmation that this is a real person. And he's he's in a room full of antiquated spy equipment that he's literally dusting off and preening. <laughs> it looks like the museum of of spycraft. And so they have a little conversation where Hank tells him, well, you know, a lot of things have happened in my life during my days here at the agency that just aren't that good, you know. And, and so there's just a lot of stuff there that you think, uh, you know, Matt, a couple, of, a couple of years ago, a movie, a documentary came out called Citizen Four, which was very interesting. And that documentary is somewhat part of this story about mm. the woman who created that film. But that documentary had a lot more to say. It still portrayed Snowden as a hero, but without all the dramatic elements. And I must say, I probably preferred it much more than I did to this movie. It's almost like the documentary. It, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably rather have that than having stuff that they have to make up just to create a, a, a better story. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think so too. And uh, yeah, because my concerns always are when we're dealing with a news item this fresh, people who are obviously still alive and still very much involved in the headlines, that there is a, 
the the possibility that people look at this and they think they know everything about this story. And this really, not only is it one-sided, but a lot of it is fictitious as well. So what do you think? Is it? I guess it's probably not one for the kids anyway. Is it... What, what what grade did you give it? Is it worth is it worth our money? Well, you know, I'm still debating on the grade. I think we're going to be sitting at about a B minus on this. Um, I I think first of all, as a political thriller, it's a good movie. It's made fairly well. If this was just a fictitious movie coming down the pipe, uh, we would look at it and we go, oh yeah, that's pretty good. Now, the part that I didn't appreciate but appreciate about it is, as you mentioned, it's rated R. Um, and it's rated R for the inclusion of probably, I haven't counted yet, but about a dozen sexual expletives. We know the word we're talking mm-hmm. about, which pushes it into an R rating, which really didn't need to be there. They're, they're really throwaway words. There's also a um, There's also a bedroom scene that happens that, the scene has a purpose in the plot, but it didn't need to be quite as explicit and lengthy as it was. If it could have been cut down just a little bit, this could have easily been a PG-13 movie. So, you know, I look at elements like that and I think, okay, Oliver, you obviously believe that Snowden's a hero or you wouldn't be making this movie. Why did you include this content to limit the audience? And I find those questions really interesting Hmm. because he could have easily turned this into a PG-13 movie, which would have opened it up to a much broader audience. So, you know, so, you know, frankly, Matt, I'm still sitting on, I'm still working on the review because I didn't see it until last night. I'm sitting between a B minus C plus. I'm kind of waffling between whether we're going to recommend it or not. And I still need to add everything up and see where we're at Hmm. with it. Well, I guess that's a, it's a good head start for all of us. And it's, it's going to draw a natural audience anyway. Whoever's into this and is 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 uh, been waiting for this to come out, they'll be jumping all over it. The rest, you know, they'll probably be able to wait for your review. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, it's in the news right now as well that President Obama yeah. has, has, has stated once again that, that Snowden is not going to be pardoned. And uh, it's so, you know, this movie really has films that are currently being talked about, or I should say films whose subject is in currently making headlines, really get a lot of free advertising. And it's always important that we step back and look at movies for what they are. This is this is media. This is entertainment. This is really what this is about. And it's timed very well to take advantage of a lot of free publicity as well. So keep those things in mind when you go to see this film, if you do. Great ideas and great information. Rod Gustafson, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Have a great weekend. Parentpreviews.com is the name of the website. You can look them up also at Parent Previews on Twitter. Wonderful location um, to go look through all the movies. So if you're going to take your children or your family to other movies, make sure you go stop by Parent Previews before you do that. And, uh, and check out those reviews. Great insight. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, do a little uh, news flush, and then we will also be getting to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. to the Matt Townsend show. Hey, we have got uh, we're wrapping it up. 
We've only got 25 more minutes of joy together before we got to break it off so we can all go have our weekends. But first, let's do a little news flush. A bunch of stories, uh, you know, get backed up in our story log because we can't get to all of them. So we like to flush some of them down the drain. But they're important ones. They're they're stories you don't want to just get rid of. I've uh, I've got one for the news flush. Yes, and this is Jeff. Listen up because I know this will affect you. Your skinny jeans can cause bodily harm. I don't own any skinny jeans. Denial. It's the first sign. It's the first sign. For some, skinny jeans are a wardrobe staple. For others, they're just an endless struggle, taunting their owner with a muffin top. That's my problem. The crotches in the jeans that ride up, those weird leg creases. Well, guess what, folks? you got to be careful because according to the Journal of Neurology, neurosurgery, and psychiatry, skinny jeans can actually cause actual nerve damage. Yes, if you if you have to walk with uh, like rigid legs and you can't sit down because your jeans are too tight, you may be damaging your nerves. This a woman, a 35 year old woman in Australia wore skinny jeans. She was helping her family move. She spent all day squatting and doing all these things to move stuff. She got home later that night. Her legs and her feet suddenly began to feel numb. She collapsed to the ground, unable to stand. She crawled several hours to get to the hospital. Can you believe it? Some signs that you might be having a skinny jean problem other than the obvious signs of the you know muffin top, can't keep your jeans up, are these. Um, if, if you notice your, your calf or your foot starting to lose sensation, if it tingles, if it's if if you've got black feet, <laughs> you gotta be careful. These are the stories that our generation will be telling our grandkids. Yeah, back in my day, I wore skinny jeans and crawled hours to the hospital. <laughs> I, you know how I can't move my legs now? It's because of my skinny jeans. So, as a just a little shout out, a little uh, service public service announcement here at the Matt Townsend Show: skinny jeans be gone. No more. No more skinny jeans. Magic moments. If you want to be able to walk your entire life, if you want to lose that numbing sensation, that tingle that goes down your left or your right leg, it's time to get rid of the skinny jeans. I say if the skinny, if I think it's time to get back to those grandma jeans, the ones that go all the way up to your rib cage. <laughs> Whatever happened to those? Anyway, on behalf of the show, skinny jeans. Flushed. Out. Flush them. Goodbye. Get rid of them. The story out of Texas, Bazooka Bubblegum. Remember that? Loved it. Bazooka Bubblegum was stuck to a decades-old promise awarding a Texas man a fresh new baseball glove from a 1957 baseball card contest. Really? Darwin Day 70 was cleaning out his Grand Prairie, Texas house a couple of months ago when he found a binder of Topps baseball cards he had collected as a kid when they were sold with bazooka gum. Hmm. He brought back memories of collecting cards with his brother who died earlier this year. He was, and it said, win these swell prizes in the fourth bazooka baseball contest, read one card, which offered a chemistry kit, a 
power microscope a base- or a baseball glove as a reward for filling out the scores of two games that were held on Friday, July 19th of 1957. Wow. So even though there are usually deadlines for these contests, they still honored it. He filled it out. Wow. He sent it in. There's a whole story here of him fumbling with old pieces of bubble gum and all kinds of stuff. But then it said on September 7th, Jacob sent uh, his well-earned prizes, a Louisville Slugger glove, plus a couple of T-shirts, some bazooka gum, and a pillow with the classic bazooka label on one side and an old Bazooka Joe comic strip on the other. Remember, in the gum wrapper, yeah. there was a There's comic, a little comic strip. strip. They, in my memory, they weren't really that funny, but they put them there. They weren't funny. Um, so he sent in his correct response, and he got some prizes back and was able to, to really? cash in on this, this prize good, from good, good. 1957. So the that, comics may not have been funny, but at least the gum was stale. Yes, always stale and hard as, yeah. as a rock. If you could break it down, you know, to to something soft, it was it was pretty good for a minute. <laughs> it had a good one good minute of chewing fun. You just needed a friend to do the pre-chewing for you, and then it'd be soft enough. Wow. Uh, then it just got weird. Flush it. I never had friends like that. <laughs> um, Antonio Brown, the football player. Mm-hmm. Penalized for excessively good twerking. Yes, I said that. So, in a, it, was, it was a Monday night football game. Was it this last Monday night? Yes. He, he. By the way, Antonio Brown was the one that was on Dancing with the Stars, right? I believe so. And he killed it. He, he's a great. He's a great athlete and even a better dancer. So he scored a touchdown. He then went off <laughs> and did a twerking demonstration in the end zone that um, many would say was excessive. <laughs> Suggestive, suggestive. Or words I've heard, yeah. And uh, he, it's pretty funny. It's it's awkward, and <laughs> he ended up being penalized for excessive celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the No Fun League or the NFL, they they basically cited the fact that he violated the 2000 resolution G3A Ooh. of excessive celebration. There you oh, go. Come on, because it was too suggestive. Of well, a celebration. You can go out there. You can do little thing by yourself and go, but it needs to be fast. Yeah. And, get it over with. And and he did it on national TV, yeah. and it is kind of – Yeah. You it's, don't want to sit there with your kids and watch a guy do this. It's so, so suggestive. We won't even post it. No. But – You can find it, though. Um, <laughs> twerking gone amok. Flush it. Police in Southern California – so this, they couldn't get any more strange for them. Imagine this. Officers stop a carjacker who, say, stole a DeLorean, then crashed during a slow-speed pursuit near Santa Monica. <laughs> a slow-speed pursuit. This wasn't a preview for the next Back to the Future. Doc Brown was not driving the car. The scene played out Thursday along Ocean Avenue in Santa Monica. The pursuit began at 7.15 when the owner of the gray DeLorean, a vehicle made famous by the Back to the Future mm-hmm. film, was showing off to spectators in the uh, along the uh, boardwalk area, and the uh, the they were the the says they were looking at the car because it's so interesting. Obviously, it's a, it's the Back to the Future car. Everyone's going to look right. Um, the, as on, onlookers mar- marveled at the iconic car with its gullwing doors, uh, Brian Scott Cottrell, thirty-two of Oregon, approached the owner and took the rare automobile by force. Oh, really? He walked in and stole the car. Give me that car. Soon after, the police received a call about the stolen DeLorean. It didn't take long for officers to spot the vehicle. It's kind of a uh, specific type of car. Uh, They said as they chased it down, 
the car was nowhere near capable of reaching top speed. Hmm. It was more of a show car rather than a functional vehicle, yeah. and they were able to slow down. And... They found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Run for it, Marty! Run for it, Marty! So the guy was booked on suspicion of carjacking. I don't know if it's suspicion, but... Either way, so the guy stole a guy's DeLorean. Did and it have a Lux? What's it called? Lux flux com- capacitor, flux capacitor or a Mr. Fusion? No, those were not part of the... Uh... Wow. All right, that's good so news. Flush flush it, it's all flushed away. Uh, we'll just do one more and we're out of here. Apparently, they're making now death suits. A death suit is a suit that you wear. It's an eco-friendly oh, yeah. suit that you wear... Uh, and it helps your body decompose. We had a producer that was trying to convince me to talk to the creator of such death suit. It's a woman in, San, or in California. Ugh. I was like, no, it's fine. Because the idea what you die, yeah. and then the body in the suit and you, will grow mushrooms. Well, you Say what? <laughs> and then you don't, you don't have to bury a box with wood because it takes forever to decompose. Mm-hmm. So instead, your suit grows mushrooms and other spores or whatever, and it just consumes your body. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. I think I'm just going to wear my men's warehouse suit. I kind of uh, said no to that yeah. interview. I thought that would yeah. be something that we could talk yeah. about in about a five-minute span, and we're done. little fact for you. Uh, 30 million board feet of casket wood is used annually for burials oh, wow. and 800,000 gallons of embalming fluid. Hmm. Mm. It's good to know. Good to know. But the mushroom suit, it's only a thousand dollars. Yeah. Versus eight thousand to, you know, the average funeral. It's an organic body bag. Right. Plus you can just do it right in the backyard. All right, no problem. Just pick one up at Costco. Be great for the lawn. Did you get a body bag for mom? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> it was a two for one. <laughs> She'll be a perennial or an annual. <laughs> It's flush. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll visit the Good Brothers from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Dr. Gene, we will pill the avocado. You don't need to repeat it four times. Let's take this wonderful tune and uh, a bowl full of guacamole down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Jerem and Brian Logan. What's up, gentlemen? With it. With it. Do you guys like guacamole? I actually don't really like guacamole. That's the guacamole what? song. Yeah. Aren't you like a third Mexican or something? Uh, 168th. Oh, yeah. Okay. That explains it. <laughs> wow. My mom like lived it. in Mexico. She uh, She's not Mexican. but Oh, yes. We yeah. had this conversation. There's like, a difference this... between race and nationality, right? So my mom's Mexican. She's she... born in Mexico. Your mom. But she's not Hispanic. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, you know it's like when people say, like, you're African. I'm like, I'm African-American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- there's that a be, difference. Would that, would that be and, like, you can be African-Canadian. Yeah, you know what I mean. You can Alexa Gray. I would just say women's volleyball player. I would here. just say like that person's black and they're from Canada. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. It's like when people say to me, <laughs> it's like when people say to me, "You're just a stud." Yeah, I mean, I'm really uh, not. That's, your nationality is stud. I'm not really yeah. a horse. Yeah, you know. Right. It's just like, what do you, what do you, what's your occupation, stud? You do you write that when you are filling out, yeah, resumes and whatnot. 
Yeah. That was a weird start. Hey, um, hey, Brian, it's good to have you. Is uh, did you guys know it's Guacamole Day? Just so you know why we're playing the song. It's also Play-Doh Day. Were you guys were you guys Play-Doh kids? I'm still oh. a Play-Doh. Kid. Oh yeah, my my kid has Play-Doh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we have lots of Play-Doh. By de- right by default, you're kind of we're kind of yeah. still Play-Doh. Kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, my my wife gets mad because I play with my son's play-doh like in the house the rule is like yeah no it's on the porch but uh-huh. i always tell my son yeah like, on the table yeah yeah it, but it's in our carpet yeah. everywhere <laughs> right uh-huh. <laughs> i'm like just wait just let it dry for a second and then we'll vacuum it up Don't yeah try it'll it dry now. yeah relax Easy. everybody What's relax relax hey if you guys we we did a story earlier that um reminded me of you too and you try to figure out how back to the future one no um it was the one about oh, there was a there was a marriage a couple got married and then they went to the hotel to have their big party and when they got there they found out that it was a llama convention oh i and, hate when that happens i know and then they brought the <laughs> llama convention and the family of the and the bride and the groom together and they had the best party they've ever had nice it was it was like a unification I've never been to a llama party that wasn't fantastic. <laughs> I am so lost. I don't know if you guys are joking or yeah, yeah no, a llama. Yeah. Just, 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 it's just an animal. But they do throw great parties. I did well. The first, this is similar to like that game, uh, apples and oranges or something like that, where you roll it down the hallway. I was with some teammates in 2009 when I first got here, and to kill some time, everybody was bored. Everybody got like some apples and like pears or oranges, and like it was like a real game. So I didn't know <laughs> if this was like, yeah, that, a real party. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah. yeah. Have you never heard of that game? It's like no. Skype. It's oh, like okay. Skype hunting. S- Skype hunting? Yeah. Like you hunt through Skype? Have you no? Have you ever have you ever been Skype hunting? Mm-mm. Oh, sorry, Snipe. Sorry, Snipe hunting. Oh, Snipe. Snipe. No. Snipe like from. Yeah. I don't really. From I don't, uh, I don't touch. Guns. What's the movie? No. It's, Kevin is a girl. What movie is that? Is that Home Alone? No, what is it? It's uh, up. 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 It's up. Up. It's oh. up. I was like, it's one word. I can't think of it. So, so <laughs> snipe hunting is when you go out at scout camp and they have you track down this snipe, this birdish thing, and you have to trap it. And it's really kind of a ruse to make you take the younger scouts out and ditch them. Yeah. I didn't do it's, scout stuff. It's scout bullying. It's scout. It's scout bully. It's it's the scout bully law. I don't know yeah. what that scout life is like. No, don't, you don't. You're good. You're good. Scout bullied. We'll chat later. We'll chat later. It's yeah, like apples yeah. and oranges. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? If you ever see Max Hall and Dennis Pitta, they are the ones. Who They're the ones that were messing that with game, you. I guess. No, hey. they were they were like really playing the game. Were they? And there was a lot of. I'm, I think I'm just saying the the name wrong, but yeah. they just said like this is what. We do. This is what we with, do. With this is like what Mormons do to pass bocce time. ball. <laughs> is it apples and apples? No, not that game. Apples yeah. two game. apples. No, that's a card game. Yeah, no, they were had legit apples and like were they or something. were they doing food storage like preserving world? drying apples? This is this is not how all I can't Mormons remember. Pass you time. know, I have okay. a bad memory. Jeremy. Do this. Do this. Let's let's go to a whole different topic that um, I know you're probably going to get into. There's a game tomorrow. Oh uh, yes. Are you guys going to cover that at all on your show? Today we will cover it. It's been covered this week on After Further Review. Countdown to kickoff. We'll be live tomorrow at 9 Eastern time as well to cover it. Brian Logan will be on that. So Sweet. Check that out. Uh, yeah, we're going to cover it. Um, and we're going to talk about the context of this UCLA game today in the season. 
if BYU wants to have a good season, not a six or seven win season, but something more than that. Like 10. Is this a must win? Mm. We'll discuss. Plus, we're going to hear from Alan Beswick, who's going to call the game on ESPN2, and Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Network. They will weigh in on uh, the BYU-UCLA matchup. It's an interesting one. It was a one-point game at the Rose Bowl last year. BYU lost that game. So here they come to Provo. Come on. Both teams one and one. Are are you guys going to be talking about the Utah-BYU volleyball game? Well, Yeah, we'll mention. (sighs) Yeah, women's volleyball lost in five to Utah. They were down (sighs) 2-0, forced fifth set, lost 15-13. Frustrating. That, that, that was uh, that was a tough loss because BYU's been unbelievable at home. Yeah, ninth the last ranked. loss was the beginning of 2014 at home, and before that they went undefeated for a couple of years. So and they're 55 and two mm-hmm. in the last 57. Yeah, Spencer Why, called that you, match. Is it you think that's just because like it's a rival game and just everything gets thrown out, you know, in a rival game and anything can happen. I haven't looked at the means of that game. Anything is possible. I haven't looked at the means of the game. No, I just watched. I watched uh, dipped in and out last night. You were watching the game, right? Or I watched Houston, Cincinnati, and I finished season two of Daredevil. See, I, I, oh, I wow. to, I, I'm judging you, man, because to, so, to get our numbers up and to support yeah. you know, our, our, no, our I, brother. What I, I didn't tell you was my phone, my iPad, and my Apple TV were all on. Oh, yeah. But okay. my TV itself, Comcast, was on I get you. I Houston, got it. Cincinnati. I got it. Yeah, you could watch like 500 things at a time. Yeah. It's yeah. 2016. Uh-huh. You guys. You got so much on your plate. It's crazy. And now I got to let you go. You got to go wax on, get ready, do your push-ups, no, all five of them. Only Spencer. No, David Nixon is the one who waxes. Me, <laughs> me and Spencer, we just shave. You guys shave like real men. Yeah, he, he waxes. <laughs> okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Remember who you are. Remember the I, promise. I will. Remember the promise. And remember the Titans. <laughs> yes, always remember them. All right, have a great one, guys. Knock them dead. See you. Yeah, you got to remember a lot of stuff. Remember the Titans. Remember the Alamo. I'm telling you. Hey, as we uh, are winding this thing down, I wanted to make sure that we informed you about Britain's longest road tunnel. It could feature palm trees, fake clouds, all to keep a driver calm. Britain's longest underground road tunnel could be populated with an artificial trees, grassy, uh, grassy berms. Fake clouds to stop drivers. Because when you've got to travel through a tunnel that could take you 20 minutes, it's enough to drive some people a little batty. If you have claustrophobia, you might you might struggle with this one. So they try to bring in light that makes it look like it's like you're not in the middle of a mountain. Do you think that would help you slow down and drive more responsibly? No. I think my kids would be like, what was that, Dad? Was that a palm tree in the middle of the mountain? Yes, son. What they're going to do is they're going to use blue light and yellow lighting to mimic sunrises and sunsets, I guess, and to keep drivers calm as they pass through the mountain range. This is crazy. Um, They've they've used similar things in tunnels in Norway and in uh, China as well, just to mimic conditions as if I, I hope they're putting air in the tunnel now yeah i was just gonna say they need to get some nice sense in there didn't you just interview somebody about that yeah if they could put people like, would drive better mm, Ooh, i smell jasmine <laughs> Ooh, really i smell pumpernickel bread if they just pumped in some nice smells kids could roll down their windows 
About every five minutes, they could change the climate. So you go through the four seasons. Every time I go through the car wash, I forget to press the button that has the, the air circulate within the car instead of without. Ah, so we get ah, all of that cleanser. I love and, that. And uh, every time my daughter's like, ooh, it smells like candy. I know. Does your daughter eat chemically like based candy? Like, Does it all just smell like a car wash? No, just uh, lab meats. Lab meats. Balabnia. I love balabnia. Had myself a balabnia sandwich this morning. As we wrap up the show, we like to end on a good note, a hero story. And our hero today is a Detroit couple. Wins a free pizza for a year, donates vouchers to the youth homeless shelter. Listen to this out of uh, Detroit, ABC News. When Hannah Spooner and her boyfriend, Pete Cadry, won Free pizza for a year from Little Caesars Pizza. Instead of pigging out on the pepperoni, the two decided to donate the prize to the local homeless shelter. After touring several philanthropic organizations, the 19-year-old Spooner settled on a Covenant House in Michigan, in Detroit, and uh, which is a homeless shelter for youth. She had decided on us because she knew it would go to the right place, Melissa Golpe said, the organization's public relations director. The center aims to help homeless youth ages 18 to 24. We have a cafeteria here, so they provided food. But pizza is, like, super exciting, Golpe said. The uh, Golpe added that thanks to Spooner and Kadri's donation of 52 pizza vouchers, they're planning a pizza party next month. Each voucher is worth one pizza and the group plans to spread out parties over the year. They just, uh, they're really excited. So you're heroes. Think about that. You get this great blessing, this opportunity. You win a prize, free pizza. And instead of going for the pizza, you turn it into a feeding frenzy for a homeless shelter. How cool is that? And by the way, uh, it's that simple, I think, to be a hero Just take what you got. Give the talents, the gifts, the blessings, the benefits, the things you've been given in this life and magnify them. Turn them over and pay it forward. Give it to somebody else. The neat thing about that story is it will probably motivate 50 more stories like it. And that's what's cool about this is it becomes contagious. That's the show, my friends. We can't do it without you. You can join us. Look us up on iTunes, on Stitcher.com. Find us at BYURadio.org. Go to the Matt Townsend website. Look us up on all of the social media sites as well. We'll be back again Monday. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Until Monday, make it a great one and take care of each other.